Hello, my name is Vanessa Ortega, and you are listening to the Scene World Podcast. It's the Scene World Podcast. It's this thing. I'm me. Jörg is over there living in a pineapple under the sea. Thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> in a minute, we're going to be talking with Joe Lewandowski. He is the guy that dug up the, all the ET games and stuff in, in, in the New Mexico landfill. Yeah, um, two years ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, first, before that, we're going to do an intro real quick because we had – because this is going to be kind of a long – I think this is the longest interview we've done. Ever. So, yeah. yeah. So we're going to try to make this as quick as we can to get to that. Um, all right, news. What's going on? Well, so news from ourselves. We actually had, unfortunately, a downtime of 24 hours mm. on our homepage because our CMS decided to self-destruct. But thanks to the admins of scene.org, we were up again in uh, in a day. So, And I had to repost all the contents that we had since the last four weeks. Which was pretty much actually, but we got it back, <laughs> back up like like before, so everything is fine and unbroken again. So, so if you had experienced that our podcast or the new issue wouldn't be available, and that is why, because we had to restore some database entries. Yes, actually, it's the first time in 15 years that the date that the web page went down and yeah. self-destructed. So yeah, didn't happen before. Yeah. Um, all right, so so next we have we got Cinemaware. We have some interesting stuff from Cinemaware. Um, as, as some of you might recall, one of our early episodes we spoke to uh, Sven Fessing and Mount Falcus. They were the um, they were from Cinemaware. They were doing these games, um, and we've spoke we've had we've had Sven on, Sven on a few more times as you know a guest host and all this other stuff. Um, Cinemaware has sold their all of the intellectual property rights to the entire Cinemaware library has been purchased by a Stockholm based company called uh, Starbreeze and their uh it was sold for 525 euros in cash um and they're talking now about bringing this to um their VR experience so that's that's interesting it's also you know it's a little bit it's 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 a little kind of bittersweet because we like Cinemaware and you know the, the games that they did and it's sort of almost a little sad to to have someone else have them but Cinemaware still exists I I imagine they'll still be doing stuff so we we hope that wish them the best and and we wish Starbreeze the best with what they're going to do with the Cinemaware library but important to mention Cinemaware Retro is not affected that's a subprint and Sven Fursting actually sent an email a week ago that Defender of the Crown um, Recollection Edition is going to be released and the same with um, Rocket Ranger. It's, it's interesting because so. I'm looking at the, the full I, list of IPs that were included in this and and um, um, Starbreeze got the rights to the Cinemaware brand, Defender of the Crown, Wings, King of Chicago, Sinbad, and the Throne of the Falcon, Lords of the Rising Sun, Rocket Ranger, It Came from the Desert, It Came from the Desert 2, 
SDI, TV sports, basketball, baseball, boxing, football, and hockey. So, and it said the rights include all brands, websites, existing products, and licenses, including the Cinemore label. Yeah, and that means it's probably not owned anymore by Lars Furken Patista. Hmm. Right. That is what I would imagine. Yeah. But if we get news from that, we will report it the next time. Yes, yes. Um, meanwhile, also, we have a a secret Commodore meeting that, that you are got to go to. Yes, yes. On the last Saturday in May, I was actually invited in a secret um, meeting by former um, Commodore workers from Germany and Switzerland. It's quite interesting. So I got to meet people like, you know, like... Um, like um peter doctor uh, sorry dr peter kittle dr peter kittle um worked for the support team in commodore and he's quite famous and um peter tichenko was also there that we also already interviewed and released a book about his life at commodore and amiga and so, so hopefully there will be coming up some interviews soon. I'm talking about, you know, things and details from Commodore that are very little or unknown yet. For example, I was sitting at the support team table and I heard stories about the PC era from Commodore. You know, the PC 20-3, yeah. 22 and so on. Which is which? There's very much little known of, you know. Hmm. It's an it's a, an episode of Commodore that nobody ever talked about, you know. No, was nobody was of, very proud of that one. Yeah, but the PCs weren't too bad. I mean, it was our first PC in, in, in as my childhood in our home. Um, of course, after the Commodore 64, but the first IBM compatible PC, a PC 20 um three there were Plus, there were commodore yeah. laptops they actually made like pc laptops yeah but i don't know if they were actually sold oh they weren't i, I i've seen a few of them you know for sale places and 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 you know i've seen a couple of websites that sort of take them apart but it's a real kind of it's a it's a weird weird part of commodore that you don't really think too much about yeah so hopefully we can gap this, um, we can close this gap in history. Did you learn anything? Anything secret? Not so far, but oh. maybe we'll find out in the interviews. Okay, okay. Yeah. Speaking of Commodore, while we're while we're there, um, last I guess I guess it was the last podcast, maybe the one before that. We mentioned that um, some people had contacted us with issues about returning products to Commodore smartphones. Um, and and we erroneously thought that as when we returned the demo unit they sent us, we sent them a letter, and we thought that our letter may have helped some people get service. But as the demo unit that we sent back has been sent back to me, obviously that letter has made no change, no difference whatsoever. So, <laughs> so so everyone that's having trouble returning these things, we feel your pain. <laughs> 
It's strange. Strange, yeah. But we send it to Massimo's private address, so yeah. Well, we even even worked around the Commodore address that were was know. known to get, give problems. Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Other news: yes. Kilobyte Magazine, a new PDF magazine by by our staff member Boris Kretzinger, released his first issue. Very nice, Boris. And thanks for mentioning us, Scene World. Um, yes, he is also a member of Scene World, so thank you for that. I didn't, I didn't really know that he would put an advertisement full page about us, and that was pretty nice. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, so, so if you didn't know about us before, hopefully you you have read the advertisement and came to listen or watch our podcast, and this way you are here. So welcome, kilobyte readers. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, okay, well, yes. I think that's about it for the news this time. Let's let's. Joe Lewandowski is hanging out, waiting for us to to start talking to him. So let's pop over there and hear some Atari yeah, stories. Right into his living room. Yes. So today, um, welcome to the show. We are talking to Joseph Lewandowski, and um, you are known for. Having done the digging of uh, ET and Atari stuff in uh, 2014, I believe, right in New Mexico yeah. on a dump. Yeah, it was uh, April of 2014. Um, is when we dug them up, but it took almost four years, three and a half years, before we could dig them up. From the time I started to try to dig them up, because in Actually, I didn't even know there was a story. I wasn't paying, you know, there was, I didn't pay any attention to it. I, I knew about it from 1983. Because back in 1983, we owned the garbage companies here. And the other company ran the landfill where they got buried. And so I knew they were out there. And what was, and, but I didn't know there was a legend. I didn't know there was until 2010. So, so let's it, recount the legend for the, the three or four people listening that may not know it. Well, the legend is that the, they were buried out, that they buried millions of games, including E.T. You know, it ch the legend changed many times, like it was all E.T., or if it was other games. And I can tell you it was other games. I have the list here. I can, you know, there was almost 50 other titles and everything else. But that they got buried. And one of my things on it was not so much the gamer, because I was not a gamer. gamer. I didn't, in fact, when the, one of my drivers came in and said, you should see what's going on at the dump, which is a, another slang word for landfill here. Uh, I drove out, saw them put, unloading the trucks and all brand new games, game systems. It wasn't just the games. There was also the, the, the 2,600 consoles and the, and the controllers and everything. And I thought, well, that's crazy. And I grabbed a few and went back to work and forgot about it. That's the last time I even paid attention to it. That was 1983, September. Then uh, in 2010 is when I started finding out that there was actually a story because all of a sudden, 2010, I get a call from Discovery Channel. Uh, I don't know if you know what Discovery Channel is. I don't know if you get over there. Um, but that, and asking about it. And then another movie company called a week later. Then a, a NYU, New York University professor, was writing a book. And I was like, why, who, who cares? I mean, uh, yeah, they buried them. So what? So what? So I went on there and Googled it and found and it's an Atari dump and uh, and then there's three and a half million people talking of the hits on there. People all <laughs> over the world are talking. It's like, what's going on? And so from nineteen eighty three to two thousand ten, never knew there was even a story. People would ask me, did it really happen? I say, Yeah, 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 it did. 
Uh, but and then I kind of like, you know, whatever. But then I never knew. But so to me, it was the the legend was really they buried him, but Atari denied it ever happened mm. for all those years. They said, no, no. At first, they denied that anything happened, but there was too much proof something happened. <laughs> and so they started saying it was just trash, junk from the warehouse. It was not brand new games. It wasn't games. It wasn't, you know, games that were ready to go mark to market and everything else. And they actually were because they were still in the shipping boxes. I sent you some pictures. Mm-hmm. You can actually see that they were loaded. In fact, right here, this is ETs in the shipping box right here. <laughs> so you can see it. They're still in the carton just like they would have shipped them. And then look here. This, this is all ETs. This is six ETs uh, squished together all together right there. And, wow. uh, and so there was numerous of these shipping boxes full of ETs. And not just ETs, they also had, you know, the Warlords. So here's the cardboard box they shipped in. So it wasn't trash from the warehouse. They were brand new games. They were all still stuck. And they came in what they call six packs, six games to a, a box like that. And yeah, so, well, we have to say it's it was done because of the video game crash in 83, right? Yeah, what really happened was, and you know, that, that's to me, it wasn't about the games and still not about the games. Because I never was a gamer. Uh, like when I went to Comic-Con out in San Diego, I told everybody at the Comic-Con that uh, I was never a gamer, never had time to play games because I was too busy making a living. Uh, it's just making a joke. And they all laughed, but it was about the treasure hunt. Yeah. Because the what happened was is Atari denying it. you got to remember, back in 83, people didn't have cameras on their phones. They didn't have phones carrying around with them. So when I started this, there was only one picture. And that picture didn't really say there was anything there. I can see. And so I was curious why this urban legend got so big. Why did people care? Why did people talk about it so much? Well, and there's only two newspaper articles that McQuetty wrote. And then there's the one picture from the El Paso Times. And then there's a couple other articles in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and so on. But they were parts of the old the articles that were written here local. And that's it. That's all the proof that this ever happened. And then Atari denies it ever happened. So they say, no, no, never happened. So there was no proof. There was nothing. And so that's what happened was there was no proof. And that's what I was curious about. How did this thing turn into such a big legend? Why did gamers all over the world and treasure hunters? I found that it wasn't just gamers interested in this. It was the treasure hunters, too, <laughs> trying to find out, you know, did this really happen? Um, and so on. So it, uh and I knew it happened because I seen them. I seen the trucks. I seen all that, but there was no proof. And then, so that's how it got so big. As Atari denied it happened, but yet it did happen. But there was no proof, so people can say whatever they want on the internet. Yeah. And we all know everything on the internet's true, right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially what's all on Wikipedia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it it turned into a lot of that stuff. That's kind of how the legend got started because there was no proof, hmm. and. Uh, that's what got me interested in it. Was there even a story here? But when there's three and a half million hits, you know, people talking all over the world, from Indonesia to Japan to Brazil to Germany to all over Europe, and not just in the United States too, all over the place. That means somebody was interested, and so it was could we even find it? So that's where it started. Hmm. 2010 is when it started that I found out it even happened. So wh- why do you think it is that people did get so 
so interested because the games themselves, you know, especially E.T. is is sort of one of those universally maligned games. Like no one really thought it was a great game to begin with. And then everyone's still clamoring about all these these E.T.s that were buried in the desert. Well, it, it represents something else. The, the legend got big. Uh, and there was, and that's what I found because I, I have three four inch binders full of information now. Because hopefully there'll be a second movie, and we're working on that because it goes into a lot of this. Hmm. And that was what I was interested in. It's not the games because I already knew the games were there, and that you know the thing is, could I find them? Because uh, I forget the measurements you have in Germ in Europe, but in the United States they're called acres. That was three hundred acres, which is a hmm. huge area. Hmm. Uh, and there was no markings out there. In fact, they built a four-lane uh, autobahn through <laughs> since that time. Uh, they built a, a couple of different desalination plants and a couple, a lot of other stuff out there. So the place didn't look anything like what it did back in 1983. And there was no GPS tracking and there was no surveys, and so it was just to find them. But the the reason it got so big was is it was also the collapse of the gaming industry. Because if you notice, and, and it's also Howard uh, Warshaw's story, Howard Scott Warshaw's story, that E.T. destroyed the gaming industry. Mm. And Atari Game Over kind of explains that uh, E.T. didn't, it was already on its way down. Basically, it was taken yeah. over by a bunch of numbers guys, accountants that thought they could make a lot more money, and they made way too many games. For, you know, they made 5 million E.T. games, uh, but there was only 2.4 uh, million game systems out there. Uh, so they made twice as many cartridges as, as there were systems because they thought <clears> everybody would run out and buy it. But they were already going down. I mean, the signs were in 1981 and 82. They were already starting to collapse. Yeah. Uh, but I actually had an interview with David Crane, who, who co-founded Activision, which was the first third-party developer of Atari games for that console. And he said... He said he thinks he is single-handed responsible for the video game crash because he made so many great games that, that everybody thought it's easy to make games and put it on the market. And when there was Christmas in 83 or something, then right. parents would say, okay, why should I pay why should I buy one game that costs me $50 if I can get four games for, um, or five games for, for $10 each? And then I will be the hero of my child. But in, 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 instead, he bought crap games. And so that was like um, the reason for, for the um, video game crash. This is what he said. Because most games were, were crap because he made it look like making a good game is easy. Oh, yeah. They tried to make it look like that. And the first games were. And it was such a brand new thing. I was a kid at the time. I mean, I was younger. I was in my 20s. And so... Even though I wasn't a gamer, I was watching it at the same time. The phenomena of come everything in the United States and Europe. It was the arcades. You had to go to the arcade and put your money in the arcade to play. Now you can sit at your TV and do it. Uh, and it, and he's right. Uh, the other thing I learned of is it's also as Atari went on, instead of producing their own games and controlling the content of those games, they started licensing this out to other people who were knocking out games and using the Atari name. And then there was tons of other games that came out that were way worse than E.T. E.T. just happened to be in the right place at the right time when they started to collapse. Because here's one right here. This is a Phoenix game right here. And this one actually has the price tag on it. It's right up here in the corner here. A Target. Target's a, a chain store here in the United States. Yeah, this yeah. is a $29.99. $29.99. Jeez. 
And then we have centipedes over here that have the price tag of $32.95 on them. There was, they were returned because there were so many games that, that they returned. And, and when stores couldn't sell them, they could return them back to them. And so we found a lot of evidence of that, too. It wasn't just brand new games, like I said, in the boxes ready to ship like these were. These are crushed from that. Uh, but they were also games that stores, they, they bought, they'd bring so many, try to sell them. Then after a while, they would return them. And that's what was going on, too. They were getting a lot of returns. Um, but there was just so much, and they weren't paying attention to it, uh, the quality of the games. Uh, and it's actually a good thing. From everything I've learned, Atari's you know, death, as we call it, uh, actually allowed all the others, Nintendo and the Playstations and the Segas and all them, to finally get into the market because Atari was so dominant. The other guys couldn't really get a piece of the market. By, by them dying, then you've seen what happened. It took off. I think that's the one of the neatest part of it, because they consider this like the burial ground of the gaming industry for about a year. From 1983, when they buried them, till 1984, when I understand Mario Brothers when Nintendo came out, there was like a big gap of time that there was nothing. Exactly. And, there uh, was a gap for two two years until 85. There was the NES console from from Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then locally in the United States, it was a strange phenomenon too because. Uh, you guys are too young to remember, but back then, that was the time of Helter Skelter and subliminal messages in the records or in the tapes or in TV that the CIA had these messages coming out over the TV screen that you could. There was all these little things going on. And so at the same time, so there was all these people in the United States, probably in Europe, too, that thought the gaming industry was evil. Mm. That basically our kids were going to sit there and play games and end up with arthritis in their hands and get and and get cross-eyed <laughs> and they wouldn't be able to see and yeah. you know there was all this group that thought that it was an evil thing it was an evil thing to have these games and then there was a whole group that thought it was great and so when Atari died there was almost like parties here that like oh the gaming industry's gone you know yay that evil thing it was just a fad it's gone now <laughs> we don't have to worry about it our kids will be fine and <laughs> and then it came back stronger after that because as i've been told the gaming industry now dollar wise outdoes by billions of dollars the whole all the movie industries in the world put together not just oh, yeah. hollywood but every you put them all together the money made with the movies gaming and the gamers are making you know, the gaming industry makes more money than them right for an industry that died in 1983 here in the united states you know here in new mexico yeah that's supposedly. the thing yeah. that i found surprising when i started doing this and talking to developers that actually do make games is, is how much it even costs to make a game it's it's millions and millions of dollars to make a make a full-on you know a, a, a triple a game a triple, they yeah triple a they yeah. call it games you know and, and they make back millions and millions of dollars and and you know, I'm still in the mindset. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I am old enough to remember that stuff from back then. And, and you know, I, in, in my mind, it's like you, you want to make a game, you sit down with two or three guys and you make a game and it takes a couple of months and you're done. But that's not how it's done anymore. It's a... Well, well and it's like the B3 event was really, really hitting on it. The, the graphics and the artwork that's in these games now, mm. I mean, it's way beyond anything before. I mean, the, the artwork and this is some of the fabulous artwork and the, the the special effects is way beyond all that and uh but yeah again you know howard's story was really good too i'm glad they told howard's story that you know because it, i got a chance to be with him a lot and talk to him a lot about the, his you know his thing and how he had uh he was totally destroyed when the, the et because you got to remember this guy's in his mid-20s you know he has a million seller 
with Yar's Revenge in a brand new industry. No one, you know, no one else is doing this. And what does Howard do? He sells a million, over a million Yar's Revenge. Then the second game is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then he sells over a million of those. And uh, and then then when they came to him, he, he thought he was invincible. He thought he could do anything. So when he said he could build ET in five weeks, I mean they sent him out to talk to you know Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, and convinced Spielberg to let him use the name. Then paid him twenty eight million dollars just to use the ET name. Here's a twenty what twenty six or twenty seven year old man, young man thinking he's invincible. You know he's Superman. You know in the gaming in a new industry that nobody's ever done before. But then when E.T. went down, as he says in the, in the movie, that, and I talked to him in more depth about it, it, it basically just destroyed him. He couldn't hold a job after that. He couldn't, I mean, in the movie, it Todd touches on it, but it was even worse than what's in the movie about some of the things. At, you know, just trying to survive after doing that, he was totally devastated to the point. And he never went back. He never made another game. He never did anything. Hmm. And here's the guy, as they said in there, that he's not even in the Hall of Fame. And yet he should be. Uh, because there's still no one that's done what he's done, and uh, and they should con- reconsider that seriously. But uh, <laughs> but then that million seller, like he said, he was in the office when he found out. He didn't even know it was that bad. You know, things were going that bad. And then uh, when they let him go, and he took his stuff and left, he was a real estate. He was all kinds of things for many years. And then he went back and got a doctor, a doctorate in uh, psychology. And now he's doing fine. He's doing great because now he's out, you know, in San Francisco, uh, San Jose, in the Simi Valley area, and now he counsels these these programmers because <laughs> he knows what kind of stress they're under. Mm. So he's got both sides. He can help them get through this because it is a I understand very stressful life to, to try to survive that. Yeah, it's so interesting. When when you talk to fans of video games, they think it's a dream job. They actually forget how stressful it can be and what the requirements are for a coder or designer and they have to make a good game or else you won't make the million um, in sales that you invested for developing it so yeah. you're losing and, money otherwise yeah, it's, and it seems like it's a, it's a job that's not forgiving if you make a mistake you're done <laughs> there's no second chance like with Howard when E.T. And again, ET didn't bring down again. They didn't come close. They were already on their way down. What happened down here in, in El Paso is they had three big warehouses down there, and the company was going bankrupt. It was going broke real fast. And so, what do you do when you're going bright, broke as a company, a corporation? You first lay off employees. So that they had 300 employees down here, they could get they needed to get rid of. Then you get rid of assets. There was uh, uh, property. They own these warehouses, and they had the, all these properties down here, so they could get rid of those. And you get rid of inventory. In the United States, you pay inventory tax on January first. Whatever's in the warehouse, you still pay a tax on. And by getting rid of it in September, they don't pay tax on it on first of January. So, three point two million games is what they were going to bury and get rid of. Uh, they didn't get that many in there because the city stopped that uh, before they got them all in there. The rest went somewhere else. But uh, seven hundred, about almost eight hundred thousand, made it into the, the into this dump here. Now, why did the city stop them from putting the whole deal in? Uh, it's a small town. It's a small town dump back there, landfill. You know, it wasn't designed to handle huge loads of garbage coming. El Paso is a very big town. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big city, sixty miles south uh, of of Alamogordo, and so 
all that weight, all that trash coming up here, semi truck after you know, big semi trucks coming up here. They, it was going to take up space and fill up their landfill, and they were concerned about that. And then there was other people that had concerns about the metals that were in the games that were going to contaminate the water. There was all kinds of reasons, but they they didn't. And so Atari didn't break any laws, and, and neither did the company that the garbage company that let them do it, because there was no law in place at the time. Mm. And so what they did is they passed that emergency ordinance, and uh, and that and that emergency ordinance and that ordinance, uh, which is a law here, a local law for the city that uh, regulate, and they passed it said no out-of-town garbage can come into that landfill, only garbage that's generated within that city of Alamogordo. And uh, and doing the research, that was a strange one, too, because when I went and got a copy, I went back and got the minutes from 1983, the minutes of the meeting where they did all that, where they talked about it, and then I got a copy of the ordinance, and then when I got the ordinance, that was strange, because there's all kinds of strange stories off this Atari, and... Um, and the ordinance number was six six six, three sixes, and so all of a sudden it's like, uh oh, that's the the devil's number, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, the Atari tomb and things are going on. All kinds of strange stories came out of it. Uh, Didn't you tell me once in that press presentation that people died one after another who all knew about it? Yeah, that that's true too. <laughs> the, we call that the King Tut's tomb curse, the Atari tomb yeah. curse. Yeah, that was. Uh, Strange, because like I said, in 2010, November is when I first heard about it. Sometime in 2011, I started investigating, could we even tell a story? Is there enough to tell here? There's so many people want to know. Could we find it? Is there anybody left that could tell that it you know, be a witness? Is there any evidence that this ever happened? And uh, and so on. So I started looking for people. And um, and so there's three levels, three levels of witnesses. And that's what I went looking for. The first level are... The stories of the kids that snuck in in the middle of the night and got games and came out and, and people were and their games were all over Almagoro. Everybody in Almagoro had Ataris. Uh, those were just people. They didn't have any involvement with the garbage companies or official. Then there was the ones like my drivers and other employees that knew it happened, but they didn't know why. And then when I went looking for the ones in the official capacity, in other words, the supervisors and the managers that would have known um, what happened because they were part of it. Uh, as I started looking for him, the landfill supervisor, you'll see him in some of the pictures, his name was Richard, um, he at 52 died of cancer. And then the operational supervisor of BFI, Fred Austin, he had a heart attack at 54 and died. Uh, Victor Alonzo uh, was the maintenance supervisor, not sure what happened, how he died, but about six months before the, we dug him up, he died. Uh, and then the manager of BFI at the time, he died, and it's not surprising, he was an older man at, in 83 anyway, so he just died of old age. That was not a surprise. M.E. McQuitty, who wrote the, the newspaper articles, the two articles that were talking, you know, E.T. Trash Go Home and the other one, uh, the only two newspaper articles ever written about it, um, she died at 52 of an aneurysm. And so, and and then the one police officer that night that went back uh he died, too, later, but it was a rookie police officer that night when they were investigating these kids they caught with all the games. When he went back to the, the, the landfill that night, he's the only one that went into the, down into the hole where the games were buried. And I, if you want to know where, what happened to him, he ended up retiring as an a, a, a Almogordo police lieutenant, a lieutenant in the police department here. And then after he retired, he became a flight attendant uh, on an airline. 
In fact, he was on, uh, he went to work for United Airlines. And he was on the second plane into the second Ooh. tower Ooh. at the World Trade Center. Oh, okay. Yeah. Al Marshan was his mm. name. Okay. So all these weird stories kept coming up. And, uh, and like I told you, I think at the, pres- the presentation, McQuetty, that, t- that was a strange one too, because McQuetty, the reporter that wrote about E.T. over here in Almogordo, her father in 1947 was the editor of the newspaper in Roswell <laughs> on the Roswell Alien. <laughs> so, and there's more Jeez. stories like that. Mm, As mm. I kept doing this, stories kept coming in. And actually, after the movie came out, more stories came out that I didn't know went on. And as I was selling the games around the world, people would tell me their stories, too. Why did they pay that kind of money for them? You know? mm. uh, and why did they care even so Even you much? got a heart attack or something, right? Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. Two months before the dig, I, ha- I, have no, I have no high cholesterol. I don't have high blood pressure. I have no heart disease in my family. None of my family has heart disease. And two months before the dig, I have a heart attack and I have to have a stent put in. So it was kind of strange. Jörg, are you sure so, this podcast is a good idea? <laughs> he will survive the podcast. I'm pretty sure about that. Oh, no, I'm, worried about, you guys I'm worried about survive. us. <laughs> You're not worried about me. I made it already. Oh. Well, it's funny because Jonathan Chin, the producer, when all that happened, and I found out McQuetty had passed away too. For she had the, the reporter had the aneurysm. I called him in my. I was in my car when I was driving down to El Paso one day in, a, in my Camaro. And I'm driving to El Paso, and these tires are brand new. And my front right tire blows out as I'm telling him about McQuetty dying. And I go Yeesh. off the highway, and I don't crash or anything. I just kind of pull over to the side. And it's like, okay. And I told uh, Jonathan, I said, if you believed in curses, you know, this would get, get a little scary by now. And uh, I don't. I just believe things happen because they happen. But he, he, he could hear in his voice, he did. He said, oh, I do believe in that kind of stuff. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I told him he might want to find another project because – this is strange. Yeah. This is just really strange. But no, nah, that was neat. All the stories and the people around the world and stuff like that telling their stories. Because uh, there was, we sold 800 games. And uh, a little over 800 games, about $107,000 is what wow. it's they sold for. Wow. And uh, the highest was one ET. The highest was uh, $1,535 for one ET in a box by itself. But... Wow. Uh, and we'll sell some more later. I still have 297 left. In fact, you know, turn this for a second. Right here. These are some of the boxes. I got all these boxes here. If you can read that, it says last chance sale. Yeah. These are the boxes. There's some. There's, there's a few boxes that still have all the games ready to go wow. for sale. And uh, these are the ones that I will sell later, but not right now. Uh at a later date, there'll be some more for sale because there's been a lot of people still wanting to buy them. Uh, but we stopped, you know, two years ago. Well, you know, when we stopped selling them, eight hundred and some thousand, uh, eight hundred of them sold for one hundred seven thousand dollars. But uh, what kind of shape are they in? Can you? Not that I imagine if you if you buy one, you're probably not going to try playing it because it's you know a collector's thing. But what kind of condition are they in? Uh, the games. You know, a lot of them are butt torn up big time. A lot didn't have, you know, see, this one's almost perfectly square. It's mm. all, it's not even bent up. It's just, it, you know, and everybody thought, you know, all the rumors were this is Star, a Star Raiders. And this one, you could probably clean up and clean the context. And you can see it is actually very square that you could actually put it right in there. Mm. Now, the ones that really survived was a lot of, uh, and they did play them. I, and that's, again, when I was selling them on eBay, 
the good part about eBay is you can talk with the people you're selling to, and they would send me emails, and we kept in contact. And so they would send me pictures, and some uh, three guys I know of sent me pictures where they took the game, took it out of the carton, which was I was surprised too because they're worth more this way, yeah. not being disturbed. Uh, but especially the centipedes, because this this one here was stuck at Target, and what they did is they put it in a hard plastic cover, and it's it sealed it even more because they normally only come in this this cellophane plastic here, mm-hmm. the soft stuff. But when Target put them in there, they really sealed them, and so th- that was funny to see this, this old. You know, one guy took a centipede out and cleaned it up. And then put it back together, and then he put it in his system, and he played it on a big screen. And he was playing. He sent me pictures and video of him playing the game on the TV, and he actually took pictures of every step when he took it out of the box, and when he oh. took the game. You know, he took every step to show it was the actual cartridge that came from us. And it doesn't surprise me that they work. Like I said, you know, this one's bent a little more. This one here is a little tweaked. Hmm. You can see, but it's a combat. Uh, there's more, and so on. But most of them are in pretty decent shape. There's Berserk here. That one still, see, it still has that plastic cellophane. Right. But it's still, the the cartridge itself is still in good shape. Because they didn't run them over with these big steam, you know, in the, in the stories they talk about these big steam and engine type machines running over them and crushing them and destroying them and tearing them apart. It didn't happen that way. Back then we didn't bury garbage that way. It was a whole different world back then mm-hmm. as far as how it got buried. They just got thrown down. They just ran over them a little bit and then they, and then that's it. Good the enough. concrete wasn't originally supposed to be in there. Yeah, they poured the concrete. concrete over it. Yeah, and that's funny, too, because you see the stories, and sometimes the stories you see on the Internet is they put two feet of concrete, a big concrete slab that you can't get through to encase them completely. <laughs> that never happened. And what happened was when they, they buried the, when they took the first loads of games out there, the first night the word got out because the landfill supervisor's son went to one of the little elementary kids schools here, he told some of the kids. They told some other kids. By that night, uh, everybody in town sort of knew. A lot of the kids knew. And so that night, some kids snuck, started sneaking in there and getting them. And when that happened, Jim Heller is the one that you know, was in charge of the Atari down in this area. He had to stop them from getting them. He never intended to have concrete on them. But once they were scavenging them and taking them out of the landfill so fast, he, he ordered concrete to be poured over them. Oh, okay. And, it, and so... So the concrete did happen, but not the way the legend says. It wasn't planned that way. It wasn't two feet thick. It was just barely, as it came out of the cement truck, they just spread it out. In some of the pictures I sent, you can see what they did. They just barely spread it out, and just enough to slow it, you know, people to think they would slow them down. But people, all they did was go out there with big sledgehammers and break through the concrete and get them anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, thousands of games are all over town. Uh, we have one history teacher. He's a teacher at our high school here. He, uh, in fact, he was one of the kids that snuck in there that first night. Uh, him and his friends snuck in there on motorcycles through the back way and uh, filled up these blankets and tied them off like hobo bags, you know, and then put them over their, their motorcycle like two on each side, like, like saddlebags and came out. And they snuck out and they got them out with that. And when they got out with them, they got them over them. Then the newspaper articles came out and then they realized, oh, we're going to go to jail for stealing all these games. <laughs> so they didn't know what to do. They had over a thousand ETs. They didn't know what to do with them. And so what they did is they drove up and down streets in Alamogordo early Sunday morning. And I don't know. Do you get newspapers delivered to your houses, thrown in your yard or anything like we do here in the United States? No, we get them in our letterbox. Okay. On the no, house. but here you know, we had newspaper boys that drive down the street. and, and Like throw paper boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what Vince and them did. 
him and his friend had to get rid of the evidence so they wouldn't go to jail for stealing the games. So they drove up and down the streets early in the morning before the sun come up, throwing them in everybody's front yard. So everybody was getting ET games. I mean, there's, there's so many little stories like that. Um, and so uh, the games were you know, given out like that. So that's when the concrete was ordered and security guards were brought in to try to stop it. But it still didn't stop it. The day I got some games, there was a security guard there. And Richard just came up and says, you want some? I said, sure, I'll grab some. So he went over and started talking to the security guard, got him busy. So he wasn't paying attention. I grabbed some, threw them in the truck, and drove away. So <laughs> there was thousands of games all over this town. There was no secret. And they came here for one reason. El Paso is a huge town, had huge landfills, a couple of big landfills. But the problem back in those days were right on the Mexican border, El Paso is. And so the the Mexicans would come across, and also locals, and they would go to the old dumps, and they would they would scavenge and take anything that was good. So Atari, and over here, we didn't allow that in New Mexico, and you weren't allowed to do that. So they thought they could keep a secret by bringing them to this city and burying them without anybody knowing. Uh, but it's a small town, and if you know anything about small towns, you can't keep secrets. Everybody knows. And so it was within the first day or two, they the games were everywhere. <laughs> they were all over the place. Wow. So that's kind of how it happened with the, the kids and the legend. But but there was no proof. You know, I started looking for people and I found drivers said, yeah, I remember seeing them, but they couldn't tell me any more than that. And then all the people that were in the official capacity had passed, they had died from weird stuff, you know, from cancer to to heart attacks, to aneurysms, to uh, 9-11. I mean, everybody that really had seen it all. Uh, so it was, can we actually prove that actually happened? So. And like with most urban legends, it, it's the lack of evidence that allows a legend to get so big. Mm. And uh, that when I got that third phone call from that professor writing the book, when I Googled it, I stayed up like late, way into the early morning reading all the stuff on the Internet, laughing because 95% was on the Internet was not even close to the truth. About 5% had a little bit of the truth, but nobody had the whole truth. And that was what was interesting. Here, listen to all these experts talk about the games that if they're there, destroyed. And they'd be all mush now, and, and they'd, they wouldn't be any good. And if you look in the movie, you'll notice when I'm dr drilling and pulling up stuff, it's black, black stuff and materials. And that's because that's decomposition of yard waste and other things. But what, when they buried these under, what, what happened was when Jim ordered the concrete, you know, Atari intended no one to ever find these again. Atari never intended them to ever come up again. Hmm. And if Atari, if, if Jim hadn't put the concrete over them, they probably would have been destroyed. Because we brought up a bunch of them here that were really decomposing because they had intermixed with the other garbage. The other garbage, the food waste and the yard waste, all that mixing with it causes this stuff to break down. Hmm. But when he put entombed them, as we call it, with the concrete over them, he actually protected them and let them be protected. That's why a lot of people can't believe this came out of a landfill. Because you think of landfills being all so dirty and messy, but all these came out out there, and they said, "Oh, that must be faked," because that can't be true, and uh, because they're too clean. Hmm. Now, if you ever smelled one, you'd know they came from a landfill. Because <laughs> they do have still. <laughs> so, so the question is, how did you find it after so many years without any GPS, as you said, and no proof? Well, what happened was. You know, that was the hardest part. One, there was two things. One, the city owned the landfill, so I had to have permission from the city. 
And two, the environment department for the state of New Mexico would have to approve it. All landfills are controlled by the state. You know, once they close them, you can't just you can't go out and dig up a landfill. And, <laughs> you have to have all these environmental because it wasn't cheap. You know, I mean, the environmental testing and everything that had to be done to make sure everybody was safe and everything else was important. Um, so, and then the other the big problem was, could I even find them? Because if you've seen the Atari Game Over logo that they have on the shirts and on the posters, you see it on the internet. You'll, when you click on it, you'll see a black poster with an ET, green ET there, and it has coordinates on it. Don't go to that spot on those coordinates because those coordinates is not where it's at. Mm-hmm. Now, that was one of the other experts that wrote a book, says, I know where they're at. Mm. He wrote it, and he actually said, they're exactly at these coordinates. And I just kind of I put it into Google Earth and clicked on it, and it, no, he missed it. Mm-hmm. He's close, but he's not. You would have totally missed. You've been totally in the wrong place. You've been wasting your money. But uh, he was an expert though, and he knew exactly where they were. But yeah, uh, so that's not where they're at. So there was nothing like that. And again, since that time, they built the four-lane autobahn through there. They built the desalination plant, a transfer station, uh, another factory out there. Things have changed so much, um, and so. Part of it was the initially was to uh, find out where the cells, in other words, each of the trenches were, and but that we had done that because we did ground sonar to test what like, what, what dirt was been had been disturbed. In other words, where was garbage? But the problem was there was over a hundred of those, uh, over one hundred of those out there. So out of the one hundred, we're only looking for one. Then we were able to eliminate it by dates and get it down to twelve, and then we finally got it down to twelve locations the environment department still wouldn't let us do any testing uh then we got it down to four with something else uh i used uh, in this basin the tularosa basin here around magordo is holloman air force base white sands missile range and all that uh, the um it's one of the most photographed basins aerial photographed areas in the world because this is what white sands this is where the, the German scientists came here after World War II and the V-2 bomb uh, missile and rocket and all that was developed here. And the rock, that's how our, the United States' rocket system was developed with all the German scientists that came here. And this is where they were, here in Almogordo, in this area here. And then Holloman Air Force Base with the stealth bombers and all the other secret things we had. So there, there was a lot of, I was able to get in contact with people and I was able to get a lot of military aerial photographs of the area over the years from 1948 all the way up to you know up to past 1983 there was none of 1983 and so i could see the ground disturbances which got me closer to where i was going but there was none in 1983 1981 and then jumped to 1985 but it got me closer and then after that it still wasn't enough i only had four and then it was like trying to figure out and then it was some what it was is my wife back in 1983 when we owned our garbage company she actually took Polaroid. We had Polaroid pictures taken when we took over because we were trying to re, we were doing construction out there. So we took pictures. They were construction pictures. They had nothing to do with. And when we took those pictures, we put them in this scrapbook, which is funny because back in 1983, because uh, when I left Germany and came back to the United States, I got out of the army and I started this garbage company. But she did this scrapbook of that company. And at the time, I even told her that was silly. You know, I don't. Why are you making a scrapbook about a garbage company? And she just did. But luckily, she did because in that scrapbook were f- six photographs. Those six photographs were able to help me get it down to two. Uh, those hundred over one hundred cells or trenches hmm. where the garbage was, it went down from a hundred down to sixty, down to twelve, down to four, down to two. 
Wow. At that point, the environment department said, okay, you can test. See, they didn't want us punching a lot of holes out there because you don't want to let all that out. But because of those old Polaroids in this book from 1983, those two pictures, those pictures are what that allows us to dig it up. Now, that still didn't get us there. As then what happened was the photograph from the El Paso Times, I'd stand out there like I was the photographer taking the picture that was in the newspaper and line up the mountain ranges because we have mountain ranges on all sides of us. And then a little later, Jim Heller came up with those, some of those pictures of the day, those pictures that you actually see the burial. I sent you some of those pictures. Yep. Um, I didn't have those till about three or four months before the dig. That whole time, I never had them until the, and then Jim came up with those pictures. And then I could see the other mountain ranges on the other side. So like in the movie, it wasn't as easy as the movie. The movie makes it sound like it was easy. It wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah, I was actually taking all yeah. those different points and putting them on a Google image, taking that transparency and drawing lines. And finding out where they intersect, and with all the different pictures of you're standing here with a camera looking at this, looking this way, where would those lines go on the map? And that's how it did. And then from there, we were able to come close. Um, and so that's between the pictures and the mountain ranges and the Polaroids and uh, a, a lot of stuff. It took a lot. The, the military surveillance photos that they took of the basin, all those things were what took to find the Atari's. So, wow. The movie it makes it easy. Like I just drew two lines, and there they were. No. Yeah. <laughs> that marks the spot. Yeah, it didn't happen that way. And and, uh, and I've read that Microsoft paid the the digging. Yeah, originally, the movie itself was supposed to be different than what it came out. I, I, I know you've seen Atari Game Over. I don't know if, if you, AJ if you've seen Atari. I have not seen it yet. Okay. Well, the movie itself came out different. Uh, than it was supposed to be intent. When uh, when the Jonathan Chan and Zach Penn came out here, the movie was all about the legend. Uh, it was going to be about all the different stories and more stories I haven't told you and other things that went on, all these crazy things, you know, the King Tut's tomb and the 9-11 and the, the, uh, you know, the, the kids that snuck in and the games and all this other stuff. Uh, and then how it became a legend, like we're talking about today. How did this thing even turn into legend? It was just a, uh, a corporate dump. They just dumped a bunch of excess materials. They didn't, you know, it, that gets done all the time all over the world. That's nothing new. It's just why did this one? Why is this one so important? Uh, so you know the the, the games. Uh, you know, oh, I don't even know where I was going with that one. I lost my. <laughs> I got lost here. But what was your question again? Sorry there. I, I, I said I read that Microsoft paid the operation. Oh, yes, yes. So what happened was we didn't have all the funding in place for the movie. And so what happened was we started with Lightbox and, and, uh, and Fuel Industry and then us doing certain things here locally at no charge and stuff like that. All of us just doing different things. Because I made zero dollars on this whole thing. Even selling the games, I didn't make any money on them. I, I did that for the city and I sold them. But but the point here was a lot of that was done, but all the financing wasn't in place. Microsoft came in later before we start digging, but they came in later to fund the thing. And my understanding is through the producers that when Microsoft came in, they redirected the movie. Instead of the legend, it got became more about Atari, the mm -hmm. industry, and the programmers. And you saw that in the movie, how that came out. It ended up being more about Atari and the programmers than it was about the dig or the find or the legends or the things we've been talking about today. Uh, and it was originally supposed to be about those because there's so many cool stories and so many. And they actually did some reenactments of some of these stories. They actually got actors and actually set it up and re recreated some of the stuff that I haven't told you about and some of the things I have told you about. They actually recreated some of those times. 
And that's what the movie is supposed to be. But when Microsoft got involved, they, it got redirected into a different kind of story. And so, yes, Microsoft ended up funding the biggest chunk of it. Uh, in fact, the hole, just the digging of the hole, the trucks, the equipment I had to rent, everything else was over $50,000. Wow. Just to dig that hole, that little hole you see, that 30 feet down into that one hole to find those, it was $50,000. Now, Microsoft paid for that, and uh, they also paid for the making of the film and all that. So, you know, they have their right to kind of dictate how the movie goes. But, and it was a good movie about Atari and, the, and Howard. I'm really glad they got the Howard story out. But it wasn't what it was intended to be. And all the people I've been talking about, they're still wanting to know more about the legend and the stories and how it really happened and, and how we found them. And, you know, why does anybody care? You know, because it's just amazing. Some of the stories I've heard all over talking to people all over the world. Why would, you know, the guy in Portland, Oregon, why would he pay $1,535 for one e busted up ET in a box? That's the highest priced one. All the ETs, you know, the ETs, that's the cartridge by itself. The cheapest one of those went for about $800 was the cheapest Jeez. one. All the ones in the box went in a box. You know, the cheapest one of those went for $1,000 each. Wow. And the other games did good, too. You know, of course, Warlords, Asteroids did all right. They averaged about $200 a piece and so on. Uh, centipedes went for about 150 to $200. And then someone went a little crazy on them. The last, when we did the last of the sale, last, the last round, they, they really went crazy because they knew there was no more for now. Wow. Uh, but the first, the first one hundred went for thirty five thousand dollars. It just it was crazy. Uh, but you know, everybody had to have it. So yeah, yeah, video games and so on. They are really an investment nowadays for some rare stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, because you know when we were doing the digging, we did test holes, and it's hard to see this or read it. But this is kind of a we were looking for things like this, this old newspaper. And it says a, tar a dump utilized here in the headlines there. It's hard to read, but but this is one of the newspapers from that day. Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, but it was also the fun to read all these old newspapers because we also found this. Uh, this one here has the headlines. U.S. on Russia. Russian. U.S. on Russian collision course. Remember, this is the Cold War. Uh, Kremlin, the U.S. not superior. I mean, right here out in this article. So it was fun to read all uh, all these things going on. Uh, the, the first shuttle going up, the first shuttle going into space. Jeez. Um, and so on. But that, so it was fun to see all the stories that were in there. That, and that's kind of what we did. When we did test holes, we looked for those articles, and we looked for dates on those things. Uh And we'd look for dates on the, on the papers or on, on the mail, the postmarks on mail and so on. That still didn't mean we were anywhere because the way they buried it in those days, they would push it quite a ways, more than 100 to 200 feet. Because mm. you got to remember, again, I'm not sure. I figured it out when we did the presentation in Germany, what in your measurements, but in the United States, um, it's called acres. Well, uh, we would we would say um, quadratkilometer, square, square kilometers, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And I forget what it came out to, but 300 acres here. Uh, and so it was over 300 acres, which is a huge area. And we're looking for something, uh, an area of less than 100 feet long, 100 feet, 30, 33 meters, 30 meters long, and only about 12 meters wide. And it would be, you know, about 12 meters deep in the ground. So somewhere on 300 acres is this little part, a group of where these games were. Wow. And so... 
and there was no guarantees. 300 acres fact, is 1.2 square kilometers. That's uh, 100 acres? Yeah, uh, 300 acres. 300? Okay. Yeah, it's 1.2 square kilometers. So that, that that's the, how big the landfill was. And so the idea of finding something that small, uh, you know, that small of an area in that area with no mark, no markings, there was nothing there. There was just no guarantees. Uh, but then there was all kinds of different things that came up. Environmentalists here in the United States, some, certain environmentalists started getting a hold of the governor of the state, trying to stop me. And they, they caught a hold of the, the Environmental Protection Agency, the federal agency, to stop me to do it. <laughs> they wrote to all the U.S. senators trying to stop me, and I had answered to the senators and the like, environment Like, hey, department. we're taking things out of the ground, not putting them in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, it's, it, the idea was we were going to disturb the ground and all these noxious gases – as you saw in the movie, they make a cartoon of it. Uh, it would come out and everybody would die. And, you know, be, <laughs> and then also, again, with this being with the military being here, there was concerns of military waste being buried out there, munitions and things that might explode and blow us up or something. If okay. we dug it. Oh, that they were worried happen. about methane gas and other okay. gases, CO2 gases and other things coming out. And that's why we spent so much on with the engineers testing the whole time. In fact, the whole time we're doing the dig, they have their monitors out there testing to make sure we're not hitting anything that mattered. And there was no military waste. Like I said, it's a very top secret area out here you know, because of all the missile testing and the rockets and everything else that went on here. The stealth bomber that re they retired and so on um, and so on. So it was uh, all kinds of rumors and all kinds of and I had to fight every one of those fights to prove that that never happened. You know, the, the mercury pigs and the, the meth melathion and all these chemicals and all that stuff. So it was, it was, uh, that's why it took three and a half years. Wow. It wasn't like all of a sudden, okay, let's go get them. There was all this stuff, all these approvals and all these fights and, uh, having to prove without a doubt there was no danger to the public. And, uh, I'm still here, so I guess it's okay. And I was right there <laughs> as we dug. And the yeah. digging process itself, how long did that take? The digging process. We did it on a Friday, and that's another one, too, because that was funny how the Internet, how instantaneous the Internet is. This is another funny story, because there's another part we filmed. We did a night scene, and it was a, par a parody on E.T. It was basically a part of the E.T. movie that we were all reacting or reacting to it and actually making a, a funny part in, to go in there. There was a lot of funny pieces that never made it into the movie, which is sad because they were a lot of fun when we were making them. Uh, and uh, have you seen? You remember ET the movie? Have yes, you seen of course. Yeah, seen okay, in the movie, there's this guy with those keys walking around the forest, and he's the bad guy you think. Mm -hmm. But in the movie, and then later on, you find out he's actually the good guy trying to help ET. Well, I'm the bad guy with the keys, <laughs> and so what we were doing is that night where that one weird shot that Spielberg did with the lights behind the people. They're standing out there and they got those searchlights. Yeah. We were doing that out there, <laughs> and it was really cool because we were acting the pieces out. We were actually acting we weren't just doing a documentary anymore we we're actually doing a movie <laughs> but what happened was on friday we started digging i didn't we didn't i didn't let any public in on friday even though they were trying to get in in fact we had police officers and security guards around because you gamer <laughs> guys are crazy uh, <laughs> you're a wild bunch because uh, they were jumping the fences and making runs for it, you know, kind of like the running to the White House in Washington, D.C. Jump the fence and make a run, see how far we can get. And they would actually jump the fences and start running towards the hole. Yeah. And it's like and the police officers were catching them and taking them back out. And uh, and security guards, they came in at night, too, try to get in. 
Uh, so Friday, Friday on the, I forget the dates. It's like the 22nd or 23rd. We we did the big dig. We finally made I made the decision. This is where we're going to dig, and we went out there and stood there and said, "Well, this is where we're going to dig." And actually, we dug two boreholes that gave us an idea. Uh, three boreholes. In fact, my wife is the one that picked the right hole. She says that's the right hole. She says because yeah, we did three holes and we still weren't sure. And she says that's the one. And she's the one that actually pointed out the which hole. Deb, my wife, uh, you met her, or, and uh, and so so we dug there. Uh, we dug down about twenty some feet, and then we, and then with the excavator, and then we had to dig a pad because the excavator only would reach wouldn't reach the whole length. So we had to dig down until the excavator could get lower too. We did that on Friday, and we had trucks, and we were hauling all that trash out because in, in the United States, if you dig it out of an old landfill, it's now considered new garbage. It can't go back in the same hole. It's a weird rule, but it has to go to the new new lined landfill. Hmm. You know, regulations changed here from 1983 to now. Because of those regulations, all that trash that came out, you saw us loading the trucks in the movie, all that had to go to another landfill. And so we had six of those trucks and 40 containers and excavators and loaders, all that equipment out there. So we dug down within 10 feet of where I thought it was. And then we left it alone till Saturday morning. Um, the reason we left it there is because there was hundreds and hundreds and, well, of people in town that came to see the dig. People from all over the United States, from Minnesota, Rhode Island. I mean, they all drove down here just for this dig. It was like a, it was almost like a new, new phone, uh, iPhone coming out. Everybody was lined up around at the landfill you know, <laughs> okay. early in the morning, six, seven o'clock in the morning. We weren't going to open it up till ten to let them in, but they're all lined up. You see them in the movie, some of them, but you don't see even half of them. They're all lined up out the gate, just waiting to get into this place. Uh, that's the it's the burial ground of the gaming industry. It's it's holy land. <laughs> I mean, it's the it's the holy grail. You know everything, all the stories. And so the next day we were going to let them in. The first day I didn't want them in there because I had so many trucks going so fast for us to get all that out of there. I, I just didn't want all the take a chance safety one. <laughs> so the second day we let them in and they came in, and then we dug dug for about three or four more hours. And the movie shows it. And then that wind came in. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. There was no wind before that and all of a sudden that that was strange too that wind came in and blowing everything all over the place and then once we were done with the dig once we actually actually shut the equipment down the wind stopped hmm. it just totally stopped and there was no wind at all so it was almost like you know like they said close encounters of the third kind or this wind coming through but so we only really dug for two days we dug 20 feet the first day uh six meters and then the next day uh, we dug the, the other three meters the next day till we found them, uh, three to four hours. And I was getting nervous because I thought we were too far down that we missed them. In fact, I was thinking if I could sneak out of there without anybody noticing me leaving, I was going to try to sneak out of there because <laughs> I was like, I think I missed them. Because, again, remember, you're only talking for something about 30, 33 meters wide long <laughs> by about 12 to 15 meters wide. Mm -hmm. And I could have been off one meter north or south and we could have dug down to just plain old garbage and not found one Atari game yeah all that money that was being spent all these people that came in from all across or the united nothing. states yeah. there was a couple from japan there and i mean people from all over came to see this dig and if we hadn't found them and all this was like on me it was like uh oh hang on. and uh, i just blame my wife though she's the one that had to go dig there so if it didn't come out right but it came out right but uh, and then all of a sudden the excavator brought it up. They dumped that load over there. And again in the movie you see where I walk around and we're looking at the pile. And it was a strange thing too because the pile was a pile of trash, 
on one side was Space Invaders, one Space Invader, and on the other side was Centipede on the other side on one side. And sitting on right on top of the pile was an ET cartridge. And it was like, you know, it was like almost like an omen or something. It was just a strange situation that that one would be sitting right on top looking at me when I walked around and looked at the pile. And that was where he was. That ET came up. Because uh, the legend was millions of ETs were buried there. That never happened. I don't know how many thousands, but there were thousands of them. But there was also all the other games. Uh, the other games that uh, there was over over 50, almost 60 other titles from Pele soccer to combat to, you know, basically, you know, like I said, there was Berserk and Casino and Centipede. Some, a lot of ones I haven't even heard of. Outlaw, Pac-Man, Miss, Mrs. Pac-Man, uh, Raiders Lost Ark, quite a few of those. Space Invaders, Vanguard, Video Chess, Video Pinball, Video Olympics, Volleyball, <laughs> you know, all those. I mean, Maze Craze, Missile Command. I mean, there was a whole, huge number of uh, actual titles in there. It wasn't just E.T. Some people thought it was just E.T. No, it wasn't. no. They cleaned out the whole yeah, and even and what was also good, strange was good games. Yeah, it wasn't the twenty, just the twenty six hundred. It was also the fifty two hundreds, the next next series of games, mm. which was strange because you wouldn't think they'd want to throw those away uh, yeah. because that was the new system that was coming out to replace the twenty six hundred. But uh, there was actually fifty two hundred games, the fifty two hundred model games in there too. Some of them, not a whole lot, but we did pull up some of them. Hmm. But uh, oh, back to the dig and the internet being so instantaneous. We were out there filming that E.T. parody that night, had all these lights out there and spotlights and equipment running. And uh, there was probably at least 60 or 70 people out there because we had all the players that were in the movie uh, that a lot of them did end up in the movie. A lot of the stories, they were the, 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 the people in the audience. And uh, one of the assistants to the producer came running up and said, we're on the Internet. They're talking about us. And he said, of course, they're talking about us. We're about to dig up the Ataris. Uh, he says, no, that's not what they're talking about. And he says, why? What's the problem? He says, they're talking about us because they say we're out here burying the games. And, and so we're, we're <laughs> placing the games in the hole for the next day. Yeah. So everybody will act like we found them, but we actually put them in the hole that night. <laughs> and so the Internet, you know, the, the conspiracy theorists were out there running around like, we were out there burying games to find them the next day. To say, hey, look at we found them. And actually, planned, so and that wasn't true either. You know that that that's it was just the internet so instantaneous. Everything happens now. It's instantaneous here, and it was around the world that we were burying the games that night. Uh, <laughs> so that was just a lot of fun. But now there was uh, hundreds of games, and like I said, it it. Uh, I sent you some of the information, but well, even the, the day after the discovery, that same that night, eBay they had games on the Atari Dig cartridges were on eBay for sale, <laughs> and but I hadn't sold any. I've had possession of all of them the whole time. When we sold them and shipped them around the world to people that bought them or the museums that we gave them to, you know, none of them have been out of our possession. We've had total control of them. But people were already faking them yeah. <laughs> and calling them. They came from the Atari, and they were selling them for hundreds of dollars. Uh, it was like it was got on there. It's like, how can they be selling them when they weren't even there? And they put some it in the backyard. So huh? They put it in the yeah. backyard. Oh yeah. Well, in fact, uh, one was so bad you could see somebody just drove over it with a truck tire. You could see the tri tire print over the over the game, and it wasn't even a good fake. <laughs> they didn't even make it look good. I mean, it was just a a, a bad. 
and, and so we notified even they took them down right away. But they did almost instantaneously. People were selling Atari games, Atari dig cartridges, the very night that we dug them up, and there was no way. So I don't know how many people got those fake ones, but <laughs> it's easy to tell if you have a real one. You have a certificate like this. Wow. Okay. <laughs> we made it, and it's signed and all that, and then it has the city seal over here in the corner when we send them out. Um, also, if it's a real one, that you know, like asteroids here. It comes with this tag here. It's hard to see, maybe. Oh, no, it's pretty. There's a tag that has a serial number on it. Yeah. That serial number, between that certificate and this serial number here, see, if you have that, that then you know you have one. If you don't, don't buy it uh, because it's probably a fake. But without that certificate and that tag, you don't have an Atari dig cartridge. And there were fake ones out there for a while. Wow. <laughs> Now, did you get well, the majority? Just last month, I found some more fake ones. I check eBay every so often just to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, last month, I found some more fake ones. Two different guys in the United States here were selling it, calling it. They were selling them. And uh, I notified them right away that they were fakes, and eBay took them down right away. Mm -hmm. So they stopped it as soon as they found out they were fakes. And there are some real ones on there, somebody that bought some of them to resell them. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and so some have they, they've relisted them and trying to you know there's some warlords on there they bought them for about two hundred dollars, and they have them listed on eBay for a thousand dollars right now. Yeah. But uh, but again, and what's interesting is uh, eight hundred games that have been for sale. These are serious collectors because I've only seen maybe a dozen back on eBay. Most everybody kept them. They're not you know they're not going to sell them or they're not going to keep them. Right. And and again, they went all over the world. Uh, the 107 games that sold, 807 games, in case you're curious, uh, 134 games went international that left the United States. 752 games were sold in the United States. And in the United States, there's 47 of the 50 states actually bought games, those 752. And uh, I think there was about 16 different countries from Australia to the United Kingdom. And, uh, Canada bought more, most of the game, international games. They bought 54, some people. And France came in second at 22. Germany came in at third at seven. Uh, and then the rest were spread out all over from Brazil to Mexico to Netherlands, Singapore, Sweden, Switzerland, all over the place. So there's 134 games sold internationally. Wow. So. Now, did you get the majority of the games out of the ground, or, or is there still a significant amount still down there? Oh no, the a majority of them are down there. Mm. We only got recovered a, a little over thirteen hundred games. One thousand three hundred games is what we collected out of there, and we could have went for more, but we were just mainly trying to prove the legend. And then, like anything, the less there is, the more valuable it is. Right. Because our initial plans were, because uh, originally we thought they were only about five to six meters deep, uh, but. What happened was when I sold the garbage company to my partners and I my old numbers showed it was only six meters deep, I found out they came back and put another four meters of garbage on top of that, four to five meters on top of that. And so they ended up being deeper than we thought. If they had been where I thought they were, then we would have got more because we were actually going to dig it out and actually go in and pull them out. Mm. But because they were so deep, we couldn't go any further. We couldn't get any more. And we could have kept digging. There was no reason we couldn't keep digging. But once we proved the legend, we had a pretty good batch of them. 
we at 1300 we stopped right there because hmm. there's 792,000 <laughs> approximately that got buried uh and it wasn't just the uh it wasn't just the the games it was also the consoles the 2600 consoles we've got pieces from the consoles we have all three of the controllers the 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 toggle uh, the paddy wheel, uh, paddle wheel one, also the keyboard one. There were three different uh, ones there. What we were really looking for, I was hoping to find, was I don't know if you ever heard of Mindbender. Have you ever heard of Mindbender from Atari? Mm, I've heard of me. it, never seen it. Okay, no one has. <laughs> <laughs> there was only about five thousand of them made. Oh, it was a prototype, and they made them, and they were out here, and they're probably in the hole. But we just didn't. I was. I wish one of those had came up. That would have been great, because just like you, you guys are big time gamers or whatever. You still haven't seen it, and have heard little about it. Mindbender was a controller that you put on your head. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Okay, and it was Atari's exam, and again. And when you look, if you look it up on the internet later, you'll see Mindbender, and it's got this graphics of this lady with one on her head and these little radio waves coming off her head, and that's what that was the controller to control this the game. Huh. Now they portray it like it's ESP, like radio you know, brain waves are coming out and running the game. You know the, sen- the senses, and it's not what it is. Again, you got to remember this is the seventies and eighties. ESP, LSD, you know, you know, Helter Skelter. I mean, all this stuff was, it was a strange, a strange time. The seventies were a strange time. Uh, it was a neat time. That's when I grew up. And that's you know, a lot of the world was a strange world because, you know, with the iron curtain still up and all the other things that went on in the world and all the secrets and the, all the stuff that was going on and, and the mistrust of the government, the United States was going through that, the Vietnam war thing and Watergate. And you know, there's just a lot of, a lot of stuff going on during that time period. Well, so they portrayed it as that. Now it wasn't that. It wasn't that you your brain waves would make the control the, the the controller go you know make things go where it's supposed to go on the screen. What it was is if you raised your right eyebrow, it would turn right. If you raised your left eyebrow, it measured your measure your brain your uh, head muscles, <laughs> the muscles in your head, your scalp. It would re- react to that, and you could actually. But how many people can do that? I can't even sit here and raise one eyebrow with yeah. the other one not. So they tried it for a little while, then it ended up, it never got really, a few were sold with prototypes, and then they were tested, and they had them over here, and some did supposedly come into the hole, at the mind bender, uh, but that's a, a very unique, if you ever can find one of them, uh, that was, it's called, I think it was mind bender, it may have been something different, but something that, similar to that name, uh, and so I was really looking to hope, see if one of those would come up, but one didn't, you know, I wish it had, it would be cool, because... It never really got sold commercially big time. Mm-hmm. A few were sold. A few were sold, but not not on the level of any of the other games. Uh, so that was another one of those things we were looking for when it happened. <laughs> but uh, no, there was just so many stories from it that came out of it, and and then uh, and then again, uh, Europe seemed to be more fanatic about it than the United States. And when I got over the, you know, when I found out when the stories were going, there were even more. And as I talked to different people in, in Germany and Rome and all that, uh, part of it was because of the mystique. It was the urban legend, but then it was also the United States, who has its own reputation for whatever, good or bad, whatever you want to believe in it. It was also the United States. Then it was in the Southwest, you know, the mysterious Southwest with the cowboys yeah. and Indians and all our stuff. This is Billy the Kid. If you know who Billy the Kid is, that's yeah, this is what sure. the kid 
Pat Garrett and all those guys. Uh, Chisholm, you know, all those. <laughs> if ever watch any old American westerns? You know, this is this is the, this is the area that where all that took off. Geronimo, this is his home. This is where he was and all. So there was that mystique of that too. And we have all kinds of legends here too. Other legends like Victoria's Peak and the Conquistadors Gold and other other stuff that went on in this area. So there's a lot of it's a desert desert area, which has its own mystique too. You know, uh, and so all those combined together just made the legend get bigger because. This isolated little town in New Mexico, you know, you know, <laughs> a lot of people in the United States still don't even know New Mexico is part of the United States. You know, so, <laughs> say you're from New Mexico, and they say, "How long have you been in the country?" So well, since 1912. I mean, uh, it's just uh, <laughs> it's funny. Like we are part of the United States. They think we're part of Mexico sometimes. Yeah, but we're not. <laughs> but uh, no, it's it was fun. It was the treasure hunt and. What could it be done, and you know how would it be done? Yeah. Again, we're working. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but all these little stories and all the stories of you know the people I met in Germany and and Italy and all over the country talking to them and so on. Their stories, I hope to tell some of those too, because it was interesting why people would, you know, why would the Deutsches Film Institute you know want me to fly all the way to Frankfurt just to be at their event over some game, piece of trash that was buried in the desert, you know, thirty years ago. <laughs> it was just yeah. uh, pretty unique. So, are you still traveling around a lot, or did that did that um, interest actually go down a bit recently? On the Ataris? Yeah, uh, I mean this digging. Are you still talking about it a lot, or or did did the media and the public lose interest after a while, or is it? Are you still getting a lot of requests? Uh, I still get contacted by people a lot it has gone down because of the you know the legend uh there's a lot of gamers mad at me i've got <laughs> some email over that because i've destroyed your urban legend yeah. uh <laughs> i won't say i've had death threats uh but i've had people pretty irritated that i found them wow uh, yeah. well. of course there's the conspiracy people that they're not real they're fake yeah that that really never happened uh and so on uh so no, I still get contacted at different times. I've been offered to, you know, like I said, I made no money on this. I zero dollars. Um, basically, well, I, I did it because it was just the challenge of finding them, the treasure hunt. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, imagine being being having an opportunity to look for the number one urban legend of all time uh, of the game, and could they be found? I mean, that that was what it was for me. It was that treasure hunt. I'm never going to go look for some Spanish galleon in the Caribbean. I'm not going to, you know, go scuba diving looking for anything or go dig up another tomb in, in Egypt, especially not right now. <laughs> uh, uh, so to have a chance to actually go for that. So I still get interest and I still get calls, and but I've had a lot of offers for me to go different places, which I really haven't taken up on yet. I, I took up, you know, of course, I came to Germany on that, and that was twofold. That was one was the the idea of coming there and telling the story. But again, less you know, less than forty kilometers away. I, that's where I lived for three years. It was an important part of my life, and uh, me and my wife, and that's where our oldest son was born. And the opportunity to go back there and see that again, and walk those Elbestrasse and and walk around the, the mines again, that was important. And uh, and so we got to, you know doing all that again, and so that that tied together. Uh, but no, there's still interest in it, just in a different way, because I still get. See the movie, the, the hard, the, the rough draft of the movie where it wasn't anywhere close done. They they played it at Comic Con in San Diego that year, 2014. 
they actually in July of 2000, it was only a couple months later, they actually played a, a rough cut of it. And when they played it, they reserved two theaters uh, at the gas lamp, which is a, where, you know, Stallone uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger have had their premieres of their movies. I mean, that's the kind of theaters we were at. They weren't this little, little rinky dink. So they were uh, fancy and all that. And at the Comic-Con, telling the stories of, you know, at the Comic-Con, we were one of the, the presentations there that day. And the room, yeah, it opened up two of the big rooms and it hold over 600 people. And it filled up right away and people were still trying to get in because they wanted to hear about the Atari. Uh, so when the movie came out there, it was a rough cut. And all the people from the movie sat in a VIP area. And in fact, the producers wanted me to, me and my wife to sit down there too, but we chose not to. We chose up and sat in the audience up above because I want to know what people really thought. You know, okay. it, down there, you know, you know everybody's going to say, it's great, it's great. Well, of course, you made it. Yeah. Of course, it's great. And you're not hearing you're not hearing what they had to say, and so we sat up there, and there was a couple from Japan, uh, some from Minnesota, and some others from, and were all over the country, and they were here to see it, and they asked us where we were from, and we told them we were from New Mexico, but I didn't tell them who I was. I just said we're from New Mexico. We were out here, so we thought we'd just stop in and see what all the excitement was about. <laughs> and so we sat in the movie and watched it, and so we sat there with all these people, and then. Partway through the movie, you could see people turning and looking at me. Like, it looks like the guy on the screen for some reason. And all of a sudden, I, I don't know if they ever got it, but you could tell they were wondering, they were guessing. And, but I wanted to hear what they had to say. And that's why I'm, the second movie is important, because everybody in the audience wasn't there about Atari. There's already a two-hour documentary on Atari they did many years ago. And it talks about what happened to Atari, the rise and the fall and, and all the bad things. That, what caused Atari to collapse? Um, so that that occurred. They weren't interested in that. They were more about what, I, what we've been talking about here today, the legend and the things that occurred and why did people care and you know, why would people pay that kind of money and how were they really buried and why did they look so good? And the movie doesn't tell you any of that. It doesn't tell you about King Tut's tomb or 9-11 or the True. Roswell alien uh, or any of those things. It doesn't tell you any of that stuff. Uh, how did that all come together? And then these stories. Uh, one man from Rhode Island told me he played Atari as a kid. Uh, he had M MS, he had multiple sclerosis. He could never hold a job. So what he did is he rebuilt old Atari systems and, and remanufactured and made the stickers and everything. Made them look like brand new and actually would sell them back out. out. That's how he made his living. But he was what you call one of the Shriner kids. I don't know if you know what Shriners is in the United States. The Shriners are the ones that have the, the children's hospitals. And they're basically a, a charitable organization that take care of kids no matter what it costs. You don't, the parents don't have to, they take care of these kids. He was one of the Shriner kids. And he said that he played Atari at the Shriners hospital. And I was like, yeah, I'll probably keep the kids busy so they don't drive everybody crazy. And he said, no, no, it, it was actually a medical tool. Because you got to remember with MS, it was a hand-eye coordination thing. Your eyes and your hands working together. And it was a training tool for kids in the hospital. And so that's why he remembers Atari, and that's why it was so important to him. There were so many stories uh, of, of these people when I talked to all these people around the world. Why would you buy this? Why do you care? Why is it so important to you? They all had all these real – some guys had personal when their parent, his parents died when he was young, and they were in a car accident. His parents were both killed, lived with his grandparents. And his grandparents uh, – you know, his grandfather worked two or three different jobs. His grandmother worked another job. They weren't rich. And now as he's an adult, he can look back and realize they didn't really have money. 
But when they took him in, they bought him an Atari game to try to help him get through the grief. And now he that's why the Atari game was so important to him. And he bought one of the games, the first games he had as a kid after his parents were killed in that car accident. But now he appreciates what his grandparents did for him. He's 50-some years old now. He remembers now that was a lot of money. And these people were working multiple jobs, and they spent that kind of money on something like that for him mm. and how much how important that was. Mm. And, and now he realizes that he's a parent. He realizes how important. I mean, it's just it's really all these stories of how why the Ataris meant something. There's all these different reasons. Some it's just the idea. It's the legend. Most of them it's just the legend. But most of them had ties to different things. Um, the the uh, guy that paid the most uh, for the E.T., He's out in Portland, Oregon. He's in the movie industry, and he got into graphics, uh, movie graphics, and that's what got him into it. When he played Ataris, it got him excited about it. Hmm. And now he works for Portland, that's the TV show called Portlandia and some others doing all this kind of stuff. Hmm. So uh, the, the international vice president, uh, pres- the international president of Tebo contacted me about him and all that. I mean, it was, just, it was just weird. I mean, it was people. And then I also did other things. As I sent them out, I would do research and see, you know, why would someone pay a thousand dollars? And then you can get on Google Earth and put in their mailing address, their street, and you go and you look. It's just a, a normal house. It's not a house that you would think these people had a thousand dollars to waste on an ET game. And it, but yet, you know, and their car is like ten, twelve years old in the driveway. I'm not trying to spy on the people. I was just curious. Are these a bunch of rich people that have too much money, <laughs> or is it they really? cared that much about the game or the story or whatever that was there and it was really the vast majority of them were just normal people normal people not a lot of money not big fancy houses not big fancy cars there was a couple of mansions there was a couple that did have too much money i think (laughs) so but it was just uh and that's the stuff that was unique that was that's what interested me Uh, not so much the games you can buy these games on ebay every day of the week for five five dollars uh Download it's them for just free. Why did this matter? Why did these, all these, in these boxes around me? Right. Uh, so that was what the stories were, and that's what was fun about it. Hopefully, we'll be able to tell that other story. <laughs> and and like I said, the people in the movie theater all said the same thing. The movie was good, but they didn't really learn any more than they already knew as far as the the legend hmm. and the stories. So, and that's the, that's the, when you ask. It's people still asking. There's still people asking those questions. They're still asking, how did this happen? Why did it happen? You know, why would people spend this kind of money? You know, who really cares? You know, right. for a bunch of garbage that, you know, Atari, it was garbage. So there's actually a second movie in the production right now? There's, I'm, I'm in the process of developing. What I'm doing this time is making sure we have total control over the story. Okay. <laughs> Because the last time the story got derailed and ran down a different line, it went more into the Atari. As you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. It talks more about Atari and the corporation and the programmers and Howard, which is okay. But I'm glad they told the Howard story because, like I said, the other Atari game over uh, Atari documentary tells about Atari, but it doesn't really talk about Howard. Uh, Not in the way it did in this movie. So I'm glad for Howard. Because he's he feels a lot better that it's, it's almost like something that part of his life that it's been hanging over him all this time is finally okay. Yeah. Everything's okay now. Everybody knows I didn't bring down the gaming industry. 
that I didn't destroy the whole gaming industry. The yeah. gamers stop hating me now yeah. that I did that I did this. Uh, they didn't do that, um, and so and so I'm glad they did that. But they really missed on a lot of this other stuff, uh, the other stuff that we've been talking about. And again, I got more stories than that. I just don't want to re- reveal at this point. Just like I told you, there was in the warehouses down there was 3.2 million games, three over three million games they wanted to dispose of, and only less, little less than 800 thousand made it in here. So where's the other 2.4 million? Yeah, games? that was going to be my next question. What they do with the rest of them? Uh, wait till the movie comes out. You'll find out. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we do know okay. where they're at. Oh, okay. Uh, oh yeah, but. Uh, but you know, you know, people talk about they want to go out there. In fact, right after we dug these up, some other company contacted the city and asked if they could go back up and uh, dig them up again. And the city is never going to allow it, and the state will never allow another dig out there. Hmm. It would, took a lot of work just to do this one. I mean, it was a fight. I mean, environmental testing, uh, excavation plans, safety, you know, officers. I mean, when you see all those people running around out there, there's engineers out there, there's environmental people out there, and those. In the movie, you'll see all of us running around. You'll see guys that says NMAD over there. That's that was a lot of work to get all that coordinated to make it happen. It wasn't just go out there and dig a hole. It doesn't work that way. Then we had to be make sure all the safety, everything was in place. We had ambulances out there. We had the fire department out there. We had all these rescue, all these different crews, rescue crews, in case the thing collapsed on us, because we had to be careful digging that hole that it didn't collapse and the equipment fall in. Uh, it, there's just so much more to just digging that you don't know because garbage is not stable uh, when you're when you're dealing with old landfills and the, the equipment could have fell into the hole and everything could have collapsed on us there. Uh, but everything was done right, so we were sure we were we knew it was safe. It's just you just never know. You don't always know. Hmm. But the second movie, it, like I said, we want to control if it happens. And, you know, we'll see, I'm not ready to do it yet. I have been a little busy lately on other things, and uh, but. We have the storylines. We have all this stuff. Uh, we'll start videotaping a lot of that. We know we're, and it's all laid out how we want to tell it. And I want to make sure it's controlled this time in a way. I'm not a producer or a director, so I don't kid myself. I know how to make a movie. That's I don't know that. But I know I want what I want said this next time. I want the stories to come out. Because there's so much more fun with it than what Atari Game Over did. Atari Game Over is like part one. It kind of gets you interested in, okay, and then it doesn't go, but it didn't go far enough to tell a lot of it. And because, uh, like I said, there was actually some of these things we've talked about. They actually hired actors and did recreations of them. And that was going to get, and they actually filmed all that. All that got cut. All that, most of that stuff got cut out. And I don't know if you saw the outtakes. I don't know if I, there's a disc with the outtakes. Have um, you ever seen the not, outtakes? Not on my version that I had. There was just. Uh, it's not public. That... I have a copy of the outtakes of some of the stuff. Uh, that never made it into the movie, and I didn't show it when I was over there. But uh, I don't think it. And, but we have outtakes of some of the stuff, and a lot of that stuff just never made it in there. Mm. Uh, well, most well, most of it never made it in there because it got derailed into the other. Again, it's a, still a good movie. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but it doesn't really answer a lot of the, the questions that are out there. But but did you keep the material, and will you reuse it in the new movie? I mean, you 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 did the shots. I mean, it would be sad to just say, okay, forget about it. Now, now the shots belong to the film company, and I can't unless they release them to me. We can't use them. Uh-huh. But I'm the one that had all the stories. I know where all the people are. I know how to. And I, the good part was this filming went on. It didn't just happen that one or two days. The filming went on for about 
six months. They come in and film certain parts. We do interviews with different people, the police officers. There's another story that night. The, the first night, some high school kids snuck into the landfill in a pickup truck. You know, in the United States, you know, in the Southwest, everybody has a pickup truck. You know, very few pickup trucks in Germany, but uh, the pickup trucks, the American pickup truck. They got in there that night. There was no security guard. And they loaded up the truck so full, and they started sneaking down the back streets in the dark trying to get, avoid the police officers, the polizai. And so as they're going down there, one police officer, Piedras, came around and saw something in the street at nighttime. His headlights, all these shiny things going down the street. And he got out, picked it up, and it was a, you know, Atari games. Uh, so he thought immediately something happened where they broke in, somebody had broken into a warehouse somewhere and stole all these games. Because nobody knew what was going on at the, at the landfill. They didn't know anything. They were trying to keep it secret. So he called another police officer who actually stopped the kids up. The pickup truck was so full, the games were just falling off of it. <laughs> and so this police officer stopped those kids and caught them with all those games. And then the kids you know, said they found them on the, on the Autobahn. They just found them laying out there on the, on the highway. And they knew they didn't find them there. So they, so the, the other officer, the one I told you about on 9-11, mm. he followed the game like Reese's Pieces. He followed them right <laughs> back to the landfill. <laughs> and he's the only one that went back that night. He's the only one that went down into the Atari tomb, Albert Sean. Uh, and that's how they found out they came from the landfill. Um, but they actually did that one. They actually had old police cars. And they actually had policemen dressed up. And they actually filmed the, that segment. Wow. But that segment never made it in. Or the night scene I told you about, the parody, all that mm -hmm. filming, that would have been funny because there was. I'm not going to tell you all the pieces in it because I'm not going to reveal what what we did. But it, yeah. we were all we were laughing so hard out there on some parts of it because it was so funny that we couldn't even keep a straight face. In fact, there was parts of the scene where we were talking and doing things, and I would say my line, and then another guy would have to say something. But we'd been cracking up so much that when I say my line, he'd start laughing right away before he could say his. So we had to film it in pieces because <laughs> we couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> uh, and so, but it was a it was a neat scene, and I wish Zach could have got that in because it was actually a lot of fun. So you have to recreate it. What's that? So you have to recreate uh, to recreate it. Yes, uh, and I don't have any problem with that. New Mexico right now. Uh, what was fun about the movie doing the thing is I was there with a lot of the scenes. I was there watching again. I'm not an expert, but I saw how they work. And how they organize. And then, and then also found out that the movie companies are not like the movie companies of old. In the old days, they'd bring all their people, all their equipment. Mm -hmm. Now, like in New Mexico, uh, New Mexico is the second biggest movie capital right behind California right now. Because really? there's so many movies being made here. Transformers was made here. Uh, you know, uh, Thor and uh, some of the uh, a lot of those movies, uh, all the westerns are made here, you know, from 310 to Yuma to Silverado to all those. Um, uh, Book of Eli. I mean, all those movies are made. They're all made around here. And there's movie companies here all the time. And so what it is, is in, in New Mexico, they have all these camera guys and sound guys and equipment and props and you know studios and everything. And like I said, we're only second to California right now. We've actually, little old New Mexico has passed New York City even. More more dollars spent on movie making than any other, other state wow. anywhere else. So watching these guys work, again, I'm not an expert. We'll get experts to do it when it comes time. 
I could see how they tied all these things together and how they worked and who they worked and where they got the camera crews, where they got this. In fact, I was already talking, I've already talked to three different producers and I, I haven't, I haven't, uh, one, a couple of directors and I haven't felt comfortable with any of them yet to right. say I would want to work with them. Uh, but we're just going to control it better this time and we'll recreate a lot of those. But again, watching how they did it and having the, all the resources here in New Mexico to actually do it locally with local film. We'll probably work with the university. Uh, they have a film uh, part uh, grouping. Uh, work with the university, uh, either New Mexico State University or University of New Mexico. Bring them in on it and stuff like that. And uh, oh. some no-name directors that are trying to make a name, stuff like that. So we won't worry about it, you know, because Atari Game Over had some big names. You know, Jonathan Chin, he has Emmys, you know, Emmy Awards for TV. Uh, Simon Chin has Oscars. You know, Oscars for documentaries he's done. Zach Penn's worked on numerous mo movies before. Uh, he's never been, a, it's one of his first directing, other than Loch Ness, uh, Nessie. Uh, so this was one of his first directing ones. He's done a lot of screenwriting. So there, there were some pretty big power, individual names there that weren't just, you know, just run of the mill. But we're not worried about this time. I'm more worried about the stories being told, mm -hmm. right? And of course, if we can yeah. use locals and control it that way and actually use the what's here in New Mexico already, then we'll do that. Mm. So because uh, a lot of that stuff, like I said, you seen Transformers, the first Transformers. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was all filmed right here. That part. Now, not all of it, but the, 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 the desert scenes. It says they're out in Saudi, you're out in the desert in Saudi Arabia. That's White Sands is right out here. Mm. They oh. built that all out here. Oh. And then they're in that air base in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. uh, well, they were at Holloman Air Force Base yeah. there with the German Air Force <laughs> sitting right next to them the whole time they're filming it, uh, <laughs> filming the, the, the tower and everything. Nice. Uh, there's the scene where Bumblebee chases Shia LaBeouf into that in that area at night scene and chases him in there, and the dogs almost get him in that mm -hmm. big funnel. That's right down here at the old sawmill. Hmm. Uh, so there's been a lot of movies made around here, Book of Eli and all those stuff like that. So mm. it's not unique and. Uh, so we have the, the resources here to actually put the team together right here to do so. And, oh. uh, but, uh, we even had one, a German film company ask us about it. And, but I don't know how that would work. I'm not going to mention names here, but I just, uh, I wouldn't care. It doesn't matter if it's German or American or whatever. It doesn't, it's just as long as the story's told, right? Right. But, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a strange thing. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I'm not a gamer, so I can't really c comment on the games, what's good or bad. Um, <laughs> I like Space Invaders. but <laughs> Yeah, well, everybody knows Tetris and such stuff, and Space Invaders, as I said, yeah, or Pac-Man. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah we have Pac-Man here. Mrs. Pac-Man is in here, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a... Like I said, there'll be, there'll be one more sale. There's 289 or so left. Uh... But I won't sell all those. We also gave them to museums. Uh, like I said, they, in the United States, they went to museums like the Smithsonian, the Strong, the Henry Ford, uh, the Space Museum, uh, Rosa, the, the, the locals. And then around the world, in fact, I'm getting ready to send some to, uh, I can't say, the Computerspiel Museum, Berlin. Oh, yeah, Computerspiel yeah, Museum, Berlin. Send some yeah. Andreas there. I uh, haven't sent them yet, but I will. Of course, the Deutsches Film Institute there, uh, Tricotta in Zurich, Switzerland, Cambridge, England, UK, United Kingdom, Centra for Computer History, the Vigamus in Rome, 
Ontario, so on. So they, you know, they've gotten those. The museums I give away free. We give them to the museums as long as they'll dis. They have to send back pictures showing they displayed them and tell us the stories of what they did with them. And uh, so we have proof that they actually got you. People got to see them. I want to make sure people can see them or whatever. <laughs> but uh, so we still are still giving them out. They're getting ready to send some to Berlin now. Uh, I'll send out a package Monday or Tuesday to Berlin. Wow, but nice. it is Monday, isn't it? <laughs> So, yeah. so it actually turned into your hobby, this kind of legend and the digging and so on. You're spending so much time with it. And, well, to get to the dig, it was a lot of time. And I don't spend much time on it anymore. But with the movie, you are still spending time with it. Yeah, putting the books together and the stories. But that's settled down now, too. Like I said, I have enough stories to make a, a miniseries. Uh, yeah, I can make, but that's not going to do that. It's got to get it down to an hour, and, uh, and the, the stories that matter, and uh, or not the stories that matter. They all matter. Don't get me wrong, because every one of them they had they had a reason why it meant so something to them. Hmm. Uh, but I've been busy because we just yeah you know, we just built a new museum here in Alamogordo, and uh, that's what I've been tied up with with that because we moved from a little place and we moved into a building that's four times the size. And we restored the, it was an old historical building here, and we spent like half a million dollars on that restoring the building. Wow. Uh, and now we've moved the build the museum in there, and we built all new displays, and the Ataris are down there too. In fact, it's one of the biggest hits when people come, they want to see the Ataris in the museum. So, <laughs> uh, and I, it's got a pretty good display of them down there. Uh, so I've been busy with the museums and restore, restoration of another fam uh, historical site, restoring that. I do, I do all that for fun. Uh, so the Ataris are kind of otherwise I would have, if I hadn't been doing the museum stuff we would have already started on towards the movie uh, but I think the story will still be there because people are still talking about it like I said some still don't believe it happened they think it's fake uh, just like still, the moon landing yeah, yeah kind of like yeah that uh, Capricorn that movie Capricorn whatever it was uh, yeah when they faked it in that studio yeah, yeah. did you, you ever see that movie oh, there was yeah. a movie I don't yeah. know if you saw it or, there was actually a fake movie doing that yeah Yeah, that's like the moon landing. But like I said, you can ask Andreas at the Film Institute there, the Deutsches Film Institute. They have a smell to them. In fact, in Rome, they had odor eaters underneath each one of them to, to absorb the smell because they have a special special aroma to them. Okay. Uh, they're not hazardous. They won't make you sick unless you can't stand the smell. But You'd think that they'd want to preserve that smell in the museums, you know, so that you could get the full effect. Yes, yes. <laughs> but... Uh, It'll fill up the whole museum by the time it's done. <laughs> it's weakened over time, but these boxes here I've had stored. There's about 18 of these boxes, this size box left, mm -hmm. this size here, these storage boxes. There's about 18 of them still full of games. Mm. And, uh, you know, they, and they're all sealed, but they still have a smell to them. And uh, then I have a bunch of the loose ones here that just uh, all kinds of different games and everything else from Defender and the phoenix and all those but they still there's yars revenge <laughs> uh and then again the legend you know they don't believe it because they're such in good shape most of them they just can't believe that this was under the ground for 30 years all thanks to concrete as you said yeah the concrete saved them and then you know the curse went and we call it the curse sort of because here's another funny little thing atari never died did you know atari yeah. actually went on Mm -hmm. they, Atari, they, they, they collapsed there, but they actually moved overseas. And I say overseas, from the United States overseas and got started again. 
but they really never got into the gaming again. But they were into other electronic stuff. Oh yeah. And and last year, at the same time we did the dig, exactly th- almost thirty years later, they, they filed ba- for bankruptcy yeah. again. Yeah. They went bankrupt thirty years later. Uh, Here's another one. When Atari went when Atari went over in 1983, they had 11,000 employees. Okay. After they, they, they settled down, they only had 3,000 left. 8,000 people lost their job. They went from 11,000 employees to 3,000. Well, this movie, Atari Game Over, was made for Microsoft for their Xbox what entertainment channel, that Xbox channel. But uh, what's it called? I think it was Xbox Entertainment or whatever. They, 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 they were doing uh, a series. They were supposed to make 10 movies for this. It was a division of Xbox or Microsoft called Xbox. Was it Entertainment or was it Xbox something? It was something there was another name for it. I don't know. Uh, but it was a the whole division within Microsoft for Xbox. It was just going to be talking about you know stories. And there was supposed to be t- a 10-part series to this. And Lightbox was actually hired to do the first three. This was the first one. Yeah, it was Xbox Entertainment. I'm yeah, Xbox, yeah, Xbox Entertainment. Yeah. And so Xbox Entertainment was supposed to do this. There was 18,000 people in this division, this division of Microsoft, Xbox Entertainment. They made Atari Game Over. A new CEO came into it, Microsoft. And he eliminated the whole Xbox Entertainment division. All 18,000 people lost their job mm. after the Atari movie was made. Ooh, too bad, too bad. <laughs> and no other movies were made. The 10-part wow. series, not just on Atari, it was all different stories like the video game stories. They were supposed to make 10. And Lightbox was under contract to make the first three. And after Atari Game Over came out, Xbox Entertainment was What's eliminated. <laughs> 18,000 people lost their jobs. Uh, and so here we go again. <laughs> Atari's the kiss of death, man. Yeah. Well, I've got them here at my house. I better, I'm still yeah, here. Uh, so. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, uh, so, yeah. And so it's just weird. Like I said, there's so many little stories that are just, I, the coincidence. I'm, I'm not one of those people who thinks there's curses. I've never been a person that believed in curses. I, I'm one of those people like stuff happens. I'd say the word, but I'm <laughs> I'm not afraid of doing this interview. So <laughs> uh, I think things just happen because they happen. I don't think yeah. there's any rhyme or reason right. to why they. Happen. So if you re- listen to all this, you would think so. Yeah. So um, how does it make you feel being now such a big spot in the gaming industry? Uh, I don't think about that. In fact, when I was doing the dig, I wasn't really thinking about, you know, would I find them and would I be a superstar or something? I, I didn't. I, I'm not that kind of person. I don't really. I don't do that kind of. I don't do this kind of thing for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of cool that we, you know, like I said, but there's that whole group of people that don't like me either because I did find them. You know? <laughs> OK, OK. So, uh, I, I did it. And it was more just a personal challenge, you know, because mm-hmm. at the same time, a lot of people. Said it would never, you could never find them. There was even a book six months right before, I won't mention who, but somebody wrote a book who's, who's big in the gaming industry six months before the dig said this is just a publicity stunt. Okay. That he had proof this never happened. 
He'd looked at all the bill of ladings. He'd looked at all the Atari paperwork. He had access to it. <clears throat> and there was no record of any big game dump like this. Mm-hmm. In fact, when it came announced that we we're about to do the dig, he actually was going on all the web, all the sites and actually saying, this is just a publicity stunt. There never, this never happened. Uh, but you knew better. Yeah, I knew. And that's that. So it was more of a, everybody kind of said they could, you couldn't find it. Every time the environmentalists tried to stop it, Every time I had to meet with the Secretary of the Environment here in the state of New Mexico, every time I had to answer to the you know, U.S. Senator from this area, every time you know everybody, the environmentalists tried to shut me down, uh, it just made you made it want to find it more. <laughs> if it had been too easy, it probably wouldn't have been fun. Yeah. It, it was a challenge trying to get around that. And uh, here's another one. One of the pictures I sent you that's in the, the document mm-hmm. is these guys with the cement truck dumping cement on the on the games you've probably seen the picture yeah okay and there's these guys with rakes pulling the cement over the games that came like i said just a few months before the dig we didn't have those pictures originally uh those came from jim heller uh uh, what happened was but when i got the pictures from him when he sent them to me all my other evidence the mountain ranges and the crisscrosses of lines the military photo aerial photographs the Polaroids, all that stuff said the games were in this one spot. Mm-hmm. But then when I got these pictures from Jim Heller and I started looking at them, there was one warehouse in one of the pictures. You'll see it if you look closer at the picture with the cement truck. You'll see a gray building in the background. That building is still out there. And that building was there. And when I took that picture and lined it up in my diagrams that I had, that picture said I was wrong. <laughs> and I was at least 200 meters off. I was totally in the wrong place. And so I got that picture right just a few weeks before the dig. And I started studying the picture and I realized, oh my gosh, they've already announced we're going to do this. The film companies are coming down. The equipment's all lined up. The, the, the permits from the environment department are already dated. It's like all this is about to happen. And this picture says I'm in the wrong place. All the testing I did was wrong. And this is a picture from a man that actually from that day when it happened. So it has to be real because it was, it was the picture. In fact, I saw Richard, the landfill supervisor, the one I told you died of cancer. Mm-hmm. He was in the picture. It's like, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. What am I? And so I kept looking at it and I went to bed and then I got back up at three in the morning cause I can't sleep. Of course. Yeah. I started looking at it closer and then I started realizing something's wrong here. And I, so I started looking at it. There's something wrong. All this other information can't be wrong. Why does this picture say I'm wrong? And then as I started looking at it closer, so I wanted to see if something was wrong with the picture. So I zoomed in on the one guy in the picture who had a T-shirt on it, had writing on it. Right. Problem was the writing, it's a beer. It's a Mexican beer, Dos Exe, mm-hmm. two X's. Well, XX is XX no matter how you look at it. You go back and look at the picture, you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see him with X. So that didn't tell me anything. So I started studying the truck and realized the exhaust pipe and the air horn were in the wrong place. In other words, the exhaust pipe is always on in the United States is always on the right side of the truck. And the air horn in those days was the pool hype. Mm-hmm. And it's always above the driver. But this picture had the air horn on the, ro- the right side and had the exhaust pipe on the left side. Unless this truck came from England where they drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> As we all know, they drive on the wrong side of the road. Yeah. All of us have got it right. They've got it wrong. But oh, well. Uh, but I realized this, that this truck is wrong and this truck didn't come from England. So I took the picture and turned it around, held it up to the light. It's the day when pictures were negatives. Yeah. They're not digital. 
And what happened in those days, a lot of times pictures would get inverted, but they'd print the negative wrong. And so that night I could go to sleep now because I knew they'd print the picture wrong. So I, when I turned the picture around, <laughs> all of a sudden now it was okay. Yeah. But there's more stories like that. There were so many things that kept getting in the way. I almost started believing in the curse. Yeah. It's like, okay. it doesn't want it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And if you go back and look at the movie, you'll notice when we first start digging and the people are coming in, there's no wind. But as soon as we start digging, that wind, wow. and it was rough. I mean, in the picture, the movie, it shows that dirt, that dirt coming in, tables blowing over everything. Wow. That wind started. And then by th- when we stopped and parked the equipment, the wind stopped. Wow. And then the rest of the week, the wind didn't blow the rest of the week. It only blew for that. And I, again, I don't believe in that stuff. So I'm not telling you that because I'm one of these people who believes it. I just, it, it just was a weird, it just everything about that. There's all these different stories like that. Mm. Wow. So, but even then, the picture almost stopped me too. Because yeah. it was like, it wasn't meant to be found. <laughs> all those, all those gamers that said I ruined it by finding the games. Uh-huh. Uh, they may have been right. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's it's fine. I, I, I love hearing the stories and I think it's a great um work for history, you know? Yeah. And um well culture even, you know, how things were back in the eighties, you know, because everybody talks about the video game crash. Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody really knew what what was the consequences of that, you know? That even Atari dicked um, bur- buried all those stuff, you know, because it was cheaper to waste it away than keeping it in the warehouse, you know. Right. And this is all kind of almost an uh, an archaeology of sorts of the of the early '80s and the whole, you know, beginning of the the video game culture that that is now everywhere. You know, this is uncovering the beginnings and 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 how it got to where it is. Yeah, it's all those. And again, the dig was fun, too, because you find, like I said, these headlines, of, you know, Russia mm. and the United States at odds and uh, the Kremlin, you know, <laughs> the U.S. are not superior. I mean, yeah. uh, it seems like it's starting all over again. I hope it doesn't because oh. it was a scary time. Yeah. I remember sitting in Germany there. In fact, yeah. when I was in the army and it was stationed there, we get there and they give us a two-week indoctrination. Uh, this is uh, 77 is when I got there, 1977, stayed through 80. Um and uh, actually, yeah, I got that's what late '77 to '80, and they would tell us, you know, you know, we us Americans that were worked there, and I was with the German Army quite a lot. I with my, my work, I was out with them all the time, and and had a lot of fun. And uh, they liked their beer, that's for sure. There's not a question about that. But the thing is, you know, they would tell us, and it was a strange time all the way around because of. Uh, we're sitting there, in fact, in our, our two-week indoctrination, how to survive, you know, how to live in Germany and, and, and what we're there for and everything else. One of the things they said to us that we were just speed bumps. You know what a speed bump is? Those little humps that make of you course, slow down? Of course, yeah. Yeah. We were just speed bumps. And we asked, what, what's the speed bump? There wasn't enough of us in Germany to stop the, the Soviets if they wanted to come across. <laughs> and if they wanted to come across, they would just run over us. We were, our job was just to slow them down. And 80% of us, German army, American army, 80% of us would have been casualties. We could not have stopped them. They were outnumbered us so bad. Right. So all we were is the, the, the speed bumps. We were called the speed bumps in Europe. Just to slow them down because the, 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 the reinforcements wouldn't come to Germany. They would go to, to France and try to stop the Soviets there if that ever happened. Right. Uh, so it was a strange time because 
things went on while we were there. Solidarity kicked up. I was there when Solidarity, and that, that was a very scary time. They were about to evacuate all our dependents, my wife and my new son and everything. They were about to load them on the planes and fly them out. Um, we were all in our deployment points out in the woods, hiding, waiting for the for them to come across because the Polish solidarity kicking up and the, the Soviets, they, World War Three almost started right then. Oh. I don't think the United States, you didn't have CNN or Fox News or all these big news agencies you have today, or all the TV channels we have today, or the Internet, you know, definitely. <laughs> So most people around the world, I don't think, realized how scary that was, that, that time period. Mm. That went on for a little while until till the Soviets backed down and left Poland. Uh, that almost turned into World War III. But you're right. It was a strange time from Helter Skelter to the gaming world to the, the, the conspiracies and the mistrust of government in the United States after Vietnam. And it was just a strange time growing up. As a, you know, I graduated in high school in 1974. Mm. Uh, we had the hippie movements here and all the other things. And <laughs> so then you throw Atari in there and it's like, uh, yeah. you know, all our kids are going to end up, you know, uh, with arthritis and crossed eyes and yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. they're just going to sit around and play video games and they're going to get brainwashed. The CIA has got messages in there that's going <laughs> to brainwash our children and, uh, and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, and all those kind yeah. of movies came out. If you look, look back at the, at the movies during that time period too, yeah. that was all those kind of things going yeah, look on, at, look like at the, bar games and stuff. Yeah, you look at the culture today; they may have been right about the the secret messages and stuff because things aren't going too great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I I, I'm an optimist, I guess. I think it's going okay. I think, yeah. The world's always been a yeah strange. You know, yeah, they talk about because with terrorists and bombings it has nothing to do with Atari. But while I was there, Frankfurt was bombed. Uh, the, the discos, yeah, it tells you what was going on in the 70s, discos. <laughs> there were bombings all the time there. They just didn't mm. have bombs as powerful as they have today. Right. So, you know, the you know the Red Army, all that stuff was going on there. Hmm. So terrorism is not new. It's just it's more, it's on the TV more. Yeah, yeah. And so people just need to relax a little. The world's had its problems. We're not going anywhere. None of us. <laughs> uh, so it's just... Uh, just enjoy your games. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember, nothing else you can do anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> enjoy it while you can. Because in my childhood, in the 80s and 90s, uh, video games were still considered bad and evil, and you will you will be with, without friends, without a social life, because you are spending all your hours on on a on a computer or on a video game console playing games, and nowadays. Games is more a culture thing and more, um, you know, like community, like cosplaying, for example. So video game got a real better image than it did in the 70s, 80s or 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was such a scary new thing. And again, with all the other things that were going on at the time, that led over to the gaming industry. It scared a lot of people Mm -hmm. Uh, that uh, it was almost, uh, you know, it was just a scary time, and there had to be some something evil about it, and so yeah. it did. And but again, the B three event was interesting because you know, looking at all at, at the event there in Frankfurt, because they were actually comparing the game and artwork and the graphics. Now that it's some of the greatest artwork of all, you know, on the level, and that's what was kind of neat to see that kind of comparison of what it takes. Mm. Um, there was an individual, I forget his name, which was interesting. You know, we had the event at the Duchess Film Institute. There was a, a, a man that came up with his wife before everybody else got there and shook my hand. He says, I'm his hero. 
and I, and I was like, oh well, okay, whatever. And uh, <laughs> I was like, get a life, man. I mean, it's like, yeah. So I dug up some games, but he's like shaking my hand. She says, oh yeah, he's been waiting to meet you, and and he's always as a child always wanted to this legend to find out if this legend was real. And I mean, they're going on and on. And then we sat, and then we started the thing. And he's—I don't know if you remember—he sat on the front row. Oh, you didn't make it that night. He sat on the front row with his wife while I made the. We watched the movie, and then we did the presentation. Uh, and then afterwards, she came up again, and said, "Yeah, you know, she came up and said he wants your autograph, and he'd like to have a picture with you." And I said, "Okay." So we stood in front of the, the screen, and I gave him an autograph, and then I left. The next morning, me and my wife Deb got up in the car and headed for Rome. And we were in Switzerland when we get a call from Andreas. You remember Andreas, the curator at the museum there? Yes, sure. Andreas calls me and says, that guy came back. And I said, he did. I said, what What did he do? He says, he was our presenter for the next night. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Who was he? I can't remember his name right now. I, I, I spaced it. And he says, he's one of the producers of The Simpsons, an Ice Age, an Ice Age 2. And I was like, really? He's the producer of one of the most famous animated series on TV? And he wanted my autograph? I'm a garbage man. <laughs> and that's who it was. It was this guy and I got on the internet, right? As soon as I got into the boat hotel at, uh, in Switzerland, I went on the internet and looked him up, and there he was. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this guy. I needed his autograph, not my autograph. And here's the producer of The Simpsons, one of the producers. And I don't know if you saw Ice Age and Ice Age mm -hmm. 2, those movies. I saw, I saw it all, yeah. Yeah, his, those are his, too, and some of those others, a lot of those. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's who that guy was. Didn't know who he was. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have known who he was anyway, but uh, until then. Yeah, but he's asking for an autograph of a garbage man. So <laughs> I guess that was cool. <laughs> yeah, it all depends on the point of view you have, on your perspective. You know? mm -hmm. Well, and I'm going to get a hold of him because I want to talk to him. Because, again, a guy that's that successful doing that, why did this Atari mean so much to him? Right. I never had a chance to talk to him about why. It just... You could tell from his enthusiasm and the way he was acting, and all through the movie, he's laughing and having a good time. And when I'm doing the presentations of the King Tut's tomb and all this stuff, you could see he was really in, into the story. And uh, then, uh, then to find out, then Andreas to call me that as we're driving to, down there to call and tell me that this this guy was <laughs> who he was was uh, pretty amazing. It was kind wow. of a, wow. it was like really. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. But uh, but he was the presenter the next night at the Simpsons. Because the, the, they had a, a series on the Simpsons there mm. uh, on Saturday night. And that's, he was the presenter that night. So no, I don't know. It's just uh, it's fun to tell the story. It's fun to share it and all that. <laughs> fun to hear it. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah. There's more to it than simply they buried the games. Yeah. And again, it was. <laughs> Everybody thought it was the death of the gaming industry. So that's why it's kind of important. They've buried games many, many times. It's just all the timing of the E.T. And when you look at all the pieces, how they fit together, the E.T. coming out at the time, the collapse, the re-rise of the gaming industry. Because uh, I'm going to compare it to the Phoenix re-rising the game industry and the Phoenix re-rising out, which is funny to have a game called Phoenix. You know, <laughs> And you got the re-rise, the Phoenix rising from the dead, you know, yeah. and coming yeah. live again. And the gaming industry to grow to what it did, <laughs> right, right, bigger right. than you know. Everybody thinks the movie industry is so big. Hmm. You guys, the gaming industry wipes them out. You know, oh, yeah, uh, everything, and continues. Well, like you know, games were uh, made after movies. Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. And then Laura Croft and all the others were after the game was made, they made the movie. Yeah. Right. Like, right. like, was the other Doom? Uh, yesterday started Warcraft. 
What happened? Yeah. Warcraft. And they're finally making a movie of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yesterday, yeah. it started in Germany in the movies. Yesterday, it started. Yeah, After Warcraft started. is coming out. But Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, was a game before it was a movie. Yeah. True. Doom True. Yeah. was a, a game before it was a movie. Mm-hmm. And so on. You know, all those that just continue to go on like that. True. And, oh, that new one, Pixel, that just came out. <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't know, it didn't do well here. Well, Did you hear about it? It, I saw it. I saw it last year. It was released last year, but it wasn't very good. I have to. I have to. Yeah, it didn't stay in the theaters. You can tell here in the United States, if it only stays around for two weeks, it, it, and it goes right to DVD, it, it didn't sell. You know, here they don't keep them in the movie theaters very long. If they don't sell, the ticket sales aren't there. The yeah. movie's gone. You can always tell yeah. if a movie does well. If it takes, you know, two three months before it comes out on DVD, then it's a really good movie. Yeah, if it yeah. Takes two weeks, it's like eh, yeah, whatever. it's yeah. the same in Germany. Actually, Record Ralph from Disney was was better, a lot better. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, there's another one. There's a TV series in, in the United States. You can watch it online. It's called Elementary. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of the TV series Elementary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's basically a takeoff of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. Mm-hmm. And Lucy Luz plays Watson. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I guess I've seen some episodes before. Yes. Okay. Well, there's an episode on the Atari, not on the Atari, but on the Burial Games. Wow. A friend of mine, I was sitting here and I get a text message from him. And he says, you're on TV. And I said, what are you talking about? I'm on TV. There's nothing going on. Now, I mean, Atari game over. I said, yeah, it's on Showtime. It was on Stars. It was on those movie channels for quite a while. It was playing sometimes, you know, seven, eight times a day sometimes. And because uh, when it first came out. And I said, what are you talking about? You're on elementary. I said, what's elementary got to do with the Atari day? Well, in the in elementary, and you can go online and find the episode. Uh, I, just, I don't remember the date of the episode. It was a couple months back. And they actually took the theme of the Atari, and in the in the in the in there, a guy gets mur- the guy gets murdered, and he gets uh, and he was looking for a bunch of games that were buried a long time ago in an old dump, <laughs> and he digs up the old dump to find the games, and uh, and then he finds and then it's trying to figure out, and then Lucy Liu and Watson are trying to figure out who murdered this guy <laughs> that found the games. But the whole storyline is on the burial of these games many years ago, and he's trying to find them because they have a lot of value. They have they're worth a lot of money, which is kind of like this. Yeah. And then he gets murdered, and he gets he gets shot, and then they set, they burn him. They set him on fire. Oh! Uh, at least I told my friend. I said at least I turned out better than that. And he yeah, gets shot. Yeah. Set, <laughs> but he wow. gets killed, and it's them trying to figure out why he was killed. Wow! And it's on it's on it's it's the TV series Elementary, and it's like oh my gosh. They, now here's what's funny about it. when we were doing the looking for the producers originally, uh, one of the companies we looked at and had I think they had a small credit in the movie, but they really didn't do much. Lucy Liu is one of the owners of that company. <laughs> so Lucy Liu, even though she had nothing to do with making of this movie, there was a contact between us and that company at one time with her as one of the producers of that company. Wow. Okay. And then she turns around and all of a sudden you see it on a, her TV series. On elementary, they kill this guy, shoot him, and set him on fire. Uh, uh, the guy that found the games. So, wow. <laughs> and luckily, I, like I said, I, I at least I, yeah, I didn't get shot or set on fire. Just had a heart attack. <laughs> so, no, it's just funny how people twist and it goes around. The story yeah. continues to go around. There's still people listening. Yeah. I still want to know more. So I'm really looking forward to that movie that just said you are planning to to do. 
Um, yeah, I'm not sure when, but it, I will make it. Just like I, you know, they said I could never find them the first time. We'll make it happen. Hmm. Next year, I'll have more time after the summer. Uh, right now, I'm still busy. I'm self-employed, so I have my own business, and then I have that, and then the museums that we've been doing, and the rest restoration of a couple of old, old buildings. Uh, actually, it's a pottery plant that was real old, but we've taken over the a guy. Uh, he's multimillionaire. He, he just gave us the property, the historical oh. society. Okay. I'm one of the officers of the historic side. It's valued at a little about around a million dollars, and he just gave it to us. As long as we take care of it and restore it and take care of it, so we've been restoring that now too. Hmm. So that's that's my thing is the history is a lot of the history and how it re what's the real story, not the, the story you hear in, on TV. Yeah. There's Hollywood stories, and then there's <laughs> real history. <laughs> Hopefully, we can catch up then next year or something yeah. when you when you do your movie, and maybe we can talk about the movie once yeah. once that happened. Well, we're going to try to make it. I got the storylines. That's all. It's just getting everybody together hmm. and having the time to do it. So great. Yeah. And I don't think the story will go away because there's still plenty of people want to know. Still people. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. Sure. And That's things like that. And so. And where can people it's, find it's out? It's a whole different take on it. Excuse me. Uh, where, where can people find out about this this the movie that has been made and and about the dig and everything else? Is there a website or or something that people can go to? Well, we never, no website's ever been set up. The movie it's called Atari Game Over, okay. and uh, they have it on Netflix. It, it was shown on Showtime and Stars and all those. Uh, movies. They have it on DVD. So. They have it on DVD. Uh, and actually, if you look real closely, you can find the full link portion of it on online that somebody's downloaded there. Okay. Uh, it seems like they download it and then it gets taken down. Then it gets downloaded. If you're looking for the hour and six minute version. Okay, like, you'll yeah. see a lot of the trailers. Okay. You know, uh, See and see. oh, and the angry nerd that was it, angry good nerd game, yeah, angry video game nerd. He did one too, yeah. That was funny because before he did his, he uh, they talked about digging up and you know, find the trailer where before mm -hmm. we actually did the dig, yeah, before we even announced we were going to do the dig, he was already working on trying to do one more <laughs> comedy, his, his type of film, uh, you know, yeah, it yeah, yeah. it's, mm. it's a lot of fun, and uh. <laughs> I found his trailer on there, and, and I understand. I haven't seen it yet, but I understand he actually did make the movie. Yes, to he did. Oh, yeah. I yeah. have it on Blu-ray. I've, I've yeah. seen it, yeah. Oh, I've never seen it. I, 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 haven't, been, I, I haven't worked hard to find it, but I, uh, I, I need to go watch it and just see because... Well, you can get it on Amazon. It's easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I probably will. I just I just remember seeing the trailer and just laughing because he's talking about digging up E.T. and that yeah. landfill. That, that this yeah. is all before we announced yeah. we were going to do it. But mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not so much about the digging. It's more about releasing um, a successor called E.T. 2. Yeah, yeah. Even oh. worse game than mm -hmm. the original. And that's more what the story is about. It was, it was actually kind of funny when he put it out too, because in in the beginning, you know, he put out the trailer and and was kind of hyping it up, and then like right before the actual movie came out, you came out and you're like, "We're actually digging it up," and it was like, "Wow, that like it almost like felt like it took like the 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 wind out of out of out of what he was doing, you know, a little bit, because it was like, oh, here they're actually really doing it." <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, it was kinda... a lot of fun though. Oh yeah, yeah. The trailer I saw was hilarious. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, throwing all the, those characters in there that he had, the military yeah. and the UFO. And the, mm -hmm. uh, and what's so funny is, you know, he didn't have any knowledge that the UFO, the Roswell alien, some of the stuff I just told you, I haven't right. told a lot of people. You're, you're one of the few that's heard this, the Roswell alien thing. Mm -hmm. uh, he had no knowledge that McQuetty, the reporter that wrote the E.T. stories here, the only two stories really written, 
And I didn't know myself until I started doing research on her. And I found out her dad was McQuetty, the editor of the Roswell Morning Star, that actually in 1947 did those alien stories. <laughs> but in wow. his his movie, he's compare, tying the Roswell alien. Yeah. I mean, at least in the trailer, he's talking about mm-hmm. the Roswell, you know, yep. Area 51 and all this other. Which Area 51 is not in New Mexico. That's in yeah, Nevada. Yeah. But people get those mixed up. Yeah. Uh, but it was funny that he was comparing those, and at the whole time I knew it, but I hadn't told anybody. And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, he's tying these little stories together, but he doesn't realize they really are tied together." The whole time <laughs> he nice. didn't know. Yeah, you know, he didn't know it because I never had any contact with him. Hmm. Great. Uh, Great. And uh, I had thought about contacting him to see if he was interested in getting involved in uh, at one time, but I don't know. I, I'll see. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. I got. I want to make sure I got the right people. The story gets told. And it's fun. I mean, sure. It's because a lot of the stuff is fun. Right. There's sure. so many excerpts that were taken out of the movie that were, you know, just silly things. You know, in the movie, there's little, little jokes, dry humor type jokes. You know, mm-hmm. like when we're at the gate and Zach asked, "Can we go in there?" I said, "Yeah, it's a high security gate. Uh, there's a little pole there." <laughs> uh, there's a lot of little things in there. You have to kind of listen closely to. Uh, he's in there and he's walking. He was. He really was. We were walking around the landfill, and he was talking, and he says, "I can feel those games. It's like they're screaming to get out. I can feel them." Is that or is that just me? And I said that's pretty much you, Zach. <laughs> I don't feel like, uh, he's an interesting guy. Zach Penn is yeah, he's a really neat guy. I mean, he's a he's got a weird, a strange sense of humor because stuff would come at him all the time. Mm-hmm. There's excerpts in here where we're filming in there, and and I have the books, and he's and I see I didn't tell anybody where the stuff was. I, I didn't tell him to the last minute. Mm-hmm. I had drawn maps and I had them in a safe, and they were put away somewhere. My uh, youngest son and my wife knew, but no one else knew. Up that Zach Penn and all them, they all they they trusted I knew because I, I never showed them anything. Okay. I didn't show them till the last second, and because uh, in case the movie fell through, I didn't want anybody else knowing about it. So those were kept secret that whole time. Hmm. In fact, when I had the heart attack, I called Jonathan and said, "You're not going to believe this. I, I'm out in Arizona, in Phoenix. I'm in a hospital. I just had a stent put in my in one of my veins because I had a heart attack." He's like, oh, Joe, you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And I said, oh, good, good. And I said, I'll be out of here in a couple of days. I'll be back. I'll be back. He said, oh, okay. I'm just glad you're okay, Joe. Oh, by the way, are the maps safe? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, Jonathan, thanks for caring. I'm sure glad you care. The maps are safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if he's worried about me or the maps were because uh, they already spent a lot of money by that time. And if I had died. Like I said, my wife and my son knew uh, they had the, the stuff. Yeah, uh, the, all the research and, and the markings. But no, I never showed anybody that stuff. I never until the last, just very shortly before that, and uh, which you know made them a little nervous for a while there. Yeah, oh, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was like in the movie. He asked me, Joe, you said you could find them. And I told him, I said, I, I'd bet the car, but I would not bet the house. I was, I was sure enough that I'd, I wouldn't worry about losing a car, but I wasn't going to lose my house over this. Yeah. And Zach really did. He got nervous when I said that. In the movie, you can see his face all of a sudden changes like, uh, <laughs> wait a minute, we're spending all this money and you don't know? No, I didn't know. I didn't. I, I had a good feeling, but I, there was, I didn't know. There was no way of for sure knowing. Yeah. Uh, that's the fun stuff. And a lot of the stuff got cut out and, uh, all the hubbub that went on and the stories that went on. And, and uh, hmm. so, yeah, it was quite an adventure. Yeah, it was quite an adventure. It sounds like Fine. it. So we seriously have to make a catch-up um, yeah. once you do the second movie and you have it out or something or close to completion or something. Yeah, I'll, let, I'll keep you informed what's going on. 
Yeah, Again, I, it's just you know, right now all it is is all the stories have been. I've got compiled all the stories and the pictures and the story and the lines and uh, the ideas of what should be filmed and what should be just told and mm -hmm. uh, how it all relates and how it's just finding someone who knows how to put that all together in an interesting story, how it all fits together mm -hmm. and actually go back and film and actually put that all together. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, like I said, New Mexico now has the resources being, with all the film the studios that are here and the film crews that are here. It's, it's interesting because you go to Albuquerque, you'll see these big empty lots, uh, mm. these lots full of cars, these old police cars and old ambulances, cars from all different ages because they're, they're movie props. Yeah. You know, they have them when the companies come in, they say, I, I need a 1972 Dodge. They've got these cars <laughs> sitting there, you know, police cars, you know, and all this other stuff. They get lots and lots of these cars and other things right. just to make movies. So we have the resources to do it, and so we'll probably do it unless someone else wants to step in. <laughs> Our guy from Simpsons, maybe he'll jump in. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really cares. He did. Yeah. Heck, that's another thing about Zach Penn when he got here, and he'll tell you the same thing. He's like, wow, what am I you – yeah, know, where am I at in my career that I'm digging up a dump? You know, I'm digging up a landfill. <laughs> Who cares? You know, he's, he's try, when he first got here, he was trying to figure out why is he even doing this movie? And Zach Penn, the director, yeah. he's like, is this really going to make or break my career? I'm going to dig up a dump, you know? <laughs> uh, then as we started getting into the stories, he got he got addicted to it too. <laughs> he got more and more about and having fun with it and everything else. And at first, though, he was like, he took the job, but he didn't know why he took the job. Right. You know, he kind of like, what am I really doing here in the middle of the desert? <laughs> yeah, eating all this dirt while we're digging and doing all this stuff and so but as the story started coming through and more and more happened now all of a sudden he got uh, he got addicted to the story too that he was actually having fun with it and everything else to the point uh, uh, like it shows in the movie his favorite game was adventure hmm. and, uh, in fact I sent him adventure you wow. know because I only found oh there was only a handful of adventures in fact there was only four Four adventure games, and I sent one to him, and because that was his as his childhood, that was the game. Wow! That he it tells you in the movie, hmm. but I sent that one to him. But there was only four, and uh, I kept three. And Zach got one of them. So, ET. There was about 115, 125 ETs that we found. Oh. Uh, not thousands, but they they were there. I mean, that, that's not the question. Hmm. So. The centipede was the one we had the most, 179 of those. And those are the nice ones that were in the plastic cases and everything else that were protected. Right. But any of them pretty much you could take out if you wanted to. It's, it's, I wouldn't recommend anybody that bought one to do it because you destroy the value. Yeah, of course. No, I wouldn't do that either. That's true. Uh, destroy. <laughs> and it's amazing when people, have, you know, like I said, they're still in contact. They send me back these big money they spent on these display cases and had them professionally mounted and uh, <laughs> Florida that's uh, opening up a new restaurant uh, museum down there um, and he owns over 150 uh, classic uh, bit of video games and pinball machines and all this mm -hmm. and so he's opened up as this restaurant museum where it's actually a museum and he bought he's the one that bought the most uh, the guy in France was was it was a kind of a race between the guy in France uh, and the this guy here as far as buying who bought the most games and this guy ended up winning because he bought a lot because he's putting them in his this you know, like I said it's a museum restaurant 
where you can come and eat and have beer, have beer and, and pizza and all this. At the same time, you can play these classic games. Nice. And then you'll have this kind of um, artifacts from the gaming industry in there, too. Nice. So when he gets ready to open that, we're supposed to go down. Yeah, but, <laughs> so he bought, I don't know, 60 or 70 games on his own. A lot wow, of money. So, wow. wow. But uh, everybody had their own reason. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what was most interesting is it wasn't just – it was – Many reasons. Some of them weren't even gamers. They just wanted a piece of history. Mm. It's that legend, you know, that, that they'd heard about and everything else. Others, it was more personal. Mm. So. so you said you said you're making a new museum or uh, things. You said at the Not beginning. Not for Atari. Ah. Atari's in the museum. No, it's it's a it's the museum. Uh, it's a local museum that we have oh, here. Okay, nothing to do with the Atari thing. Atari's in there. It's just one of the stories. Uh, uh, but again, this area is the where Billy the Kid, Geronimo. This is the area that when you see the the westerns and they talk about chasing Geronimo around, or Billy the Kid, Young Guns. Mm -hmm. Those those that that's this. You know, they talk about you know there. That's this. That's where I live. Is this? That's the area that this is. The, the old Fort Bliss and the, the Buffalo Soldiers and uh, Victoria and the, and the other Apaches and so on. Nice. This is that whole area. So, is there any web page we should mention to to point to you? What's that now? I mean, should we? I mean, is there any web page, any homepage we should point to regarding you? Is there anything we should block? Uh, no, I don't have any. There's nothing out there talking about me anywhere. Not 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 that we've set up anywhere. No, I've never done anything like okay. that. Okay, nothing uh, at all. Okay. No, no, it's it's. Again, I wasn't doing this for self-glory. It's like the money, these games sold for $107,000. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take any of it. The money, when I did it, the money went to, $20,000 went to the local library. Uh, $20,000 went to the pol police department here, Polizai, uh, for uh, training safety equipment for them. $25,000 went to the little local zoo we have here. $20,000 went to the museum that we just built. So all the money went to other things. You know, mm. I, I just when I sold them, that's where all I put all, all the money went. Mm. Yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't pocket any of the money, and I, I never intended to. It was more, yeah, you know, one the story told and it helped out the community. You know, like I said, that's what we're doing. Is just, that's that I like doing the restoring the old buildings and doing all this kind of. That's what we're doing. Yeah, no problem. I, like I said, I'm, some of the stuff I've told you more than I've told most people, but yeah. that's okay. There's still a lot more to be told. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's and, nice. Uh, well, we always try to find out new things, new interesting sides of the story, you mm -hmm, know. Mm -hmm. And that's the good thing why why um, we don't have any time constraints usually. So it's pretty good. So thanks a lot for for doing this via Skype, yes, so indeed. we can use the picture and stuff. Yeah. And okay. thanks for taking the time. I know you have been very busy, so. No, no problem. Yeah, it was a little rough getting together here because all that other stuff was going on. And every time yeah. I thought I was free, it was it didn't work out. <laughs> When I was calling you, we were really sorry, you know. I think, okay, well, I didn't want to pressure you. <laughs> Just wanted to ask because I didn't hear from you, and then you were kind of sorry when you when I called you on the phone. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's I was fun. in the meeting with somebody, and I said, "I got to take this one." He's, this is Germany, and they're like, "Germany?" I said, "Yeah, Atari, of course." <laughs> it was an important meeting I was in too. I was negotiating oh, something. I'm sorry, <laughs> and sorry. Like, <laughs> they just kind of looked at me like, "You really? You're going to stop to talk to this about Atari?" And it's like, "Yeah, it's more important." <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry for that. Yeah. No, no, it was okay. It was fun. Okay. We all laughed about it. They were like, "Really?" <laughs> so, Great. But, uh, all right. Yeah, 
and I'll be back to Germany. Yeah, we're going to come back next year sometime. So we're going to wow. come back. in the same area, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. We're going to go back. Yeah, we want to go back and just you know, we spent three days there in the Frankfurt area, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then we had went down to Rome. We were over, and then we went down to Rome. We stayed down there about seven or eight days because, mm. like I said, when we were over there, we never did Rome. We never did the because, southern Europe because in the Mainz area, actually, my father lives. Oh, okay. So maybe we could meet up again if you if oh, yeah. you tell you me know. when you are there. Yeah, I will. Yeah, we were in the Gansenheim, which is where Andreas from the museum. That's where he was from. Great. Yeah, that's it. I'm not exaggerating. There was a pizza place there. It was there when I was there in the military, and it's still there. Wow. And uh, he Great. and as soon as I told him that pizza place, he knew exactly. Yeah. He says that's where he gets his pizza. Great. So it's weird. It's a small world. Great. So, so wow. now I'll let you know. But we want to go back because we didn't get to do what we wanted to do, which is spend more time going around and sure, things. Sure, sure. I'm not First too time far we ever off. went ski skiing was down at Garmisch. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so next year, I, you said? Yeah, well, probably by the end of the year, we'll probably come over. I don't know. Or, or this year, okay. Yeah, it may be this year. Wow. I, I don't think, because, yeah, we'll go back again. Let we just me didn't know. have time to do everything we wanted to do. Let me know, and we will, we will uh, meet together, if you like. No problem. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yep. So, keep in touch. One story. I went yeah. skiing in Garmisch at the Zeus pits down there. Uh, Garmisch we, Bad I did the, I, I did the uh, you know the, the the baby hill that they teach you on. I never skied before in my life. Okay. And it was a German instructor, and I got up there, and I got up there, and he told me how to do this and how to move the skis and use the poles and do all that. And then so he says, "Okay, you can go." And I so I, I went down, started going down the hill, headed towards the parking lot. There's big yellow VW down there and all this the VW bug down there and everything. I was like, oh, my gosh. I realized the guy never told me how to stop. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> and I'm going down there, and I, I'm cussing at him. I'm cussing like, oh, that guy, I'm going to kill him when I get back up to the top. Because he told me everything, but he never told me how to stop. And I, I just I ended up just laying down on the ground and bouncing all the way down the hill the rest of the way to stop. I didn't know how to cross your skis or you do that. He didn't tell me. I think he did that on purpose. <laughs> it was fun. So, okay, I'll let you go. Okay. All right, thanks for sitting with us. Great. Okay. Thank you. Talk okay. to you later. And that was Joe Lewandowski. He uh, he was the guy that, that found, that tracked down and found and, and kind of treasure hunted all those the Atari games that were buried in that landfill. Yeah, great. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to see the second movie that he mentioned. Yes, absolutely. And it's and it's real interesting too that, you know, that a lot of those things are still in really good shape. Um, you know, where they are. And and you know, as he said, do you think that they're going to dig up the rest of them at some point? No, I'm sure there will be somebody saying, "Yeah, I want to do it again." Yeah, I feel and I like the rest of it I feel like, you know, probably won't be probably won't be him, but at some point down the road, I mean, you heard him, you know, how many there are still there. And so at some point someone's going to be like, "You know what? It's been 20 years since they last dug it up. Let's see if the rest are there." But but he also said the city may not allow it, but you know, maybe there's somebody else in charge. And well, that's the thing, you know, every couple of years you have new administration and all this stuff, so Might not allow it today, but 10, 20 years down the road, eh, you never know. Yeah. And that yeah. stuff, you know, a lot of it will still be there. You know, there's a, there's a. The concrete over it that preserves it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that and, and just, you know, 
there was I, I don't I, I read somewhere how long certain things survive in landfills and you know I'm I'm 37 years old uh, I mean I'm I mean I'm 28 years old and the and <laughs> and and the diapers that I wore as a baby still exist in a landfill somewhere wow because they don't this stuff doesn't go away you know and especially when you've got you know concrete over it to protect it. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. And yeah, I, I, I would love to see a second movie and hear more of the stories that he's, that he's telling, you know, cause I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to is, you know, everyone's kind of, everyone's personal, um, connection to this stuff more so than, than the games. Cause the games aren't that, you know, the games aren't, aren't that fancy. They're old Atari games and, and. You know, if they were just if they were just an Atari game that you had bought back then and were trying to sell now, it's a couple of bucks, you know. But it's it's the connection that people have to them that makes yeah. them relevant. Well, um, that's about it for us. You know where to find us: sceneworld.org. Um, yeah, justbestofhell.com. Yep, uh, nafcom.eu. Twitter. Dash yeah. scene underscore world mm-hmm. Twitch twitch.tv slash scene world mm-hmm. and hey maybe you saw that we did a live um, show and I lost against AJ in yes, yes. too. As uh, I said, as I predicted. Uh, <laughs> and thanks again for Synod Palich to be our chat host mm-hmm. and um, helping yes. and with with losing at uh, real fortune. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. and in case you missed that, there's a recorded version at our YouTube channel at youtube.seamworld.org. Yes. Hey, man. Yeah. Subscribe, love us, leave a like, leave uh-huh. a nice comment. Yes, indeed. Yeah. If you want to email us, it's podcast at seamworld.org. Mm-hmm. And that will straight go to AJ and me. Yes. And if we are feeling nice and comfy, then we even might reply to that most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, we do we do read our emails. Yeah. yeah. No problem. Yeah. Alrighty. So see us uh, see us. See us soon. Yeah, we are watching ourselves. <laughs> see you soon. Yep. See you in the next podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>